When I turned 18 and I could vote, my dad told me, just always remember one thing. Every new law, whether it's good or bad, is less freedom. And so I would always err to the side of allowing other people to make decisions for themselves. Because what I see today is these leaders think, and they've openly said it, that you're not smart enough to make decisions on your own. And I think that's wrong. Hello there. How are you all doing? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And before we get into the interview today, I have a quick message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by Compass Mining and Compass aren't just a sponsor. I'm a customer of theirs and I am mining Bitcoin with them. Do you know I've been mining for over three months with them now? I mined about 0.4 Bitcoin, which is pretty cool. I'm going to try and do updates on this every month. But with the price of where Bitcoin is, I'm approaching having, I think, about a third of my mining equipment paid off. I love that I'm mining again because Compass has made it accessible to anyone as a Bitcoiner to get out there and start mining and contribute to the decentralized growth of the hash rate. It was so easy to get onboarded and anyone can do it. You just pick your machines, choose your hosting facility and Compass does everything else for you. Now, if you want to find out more, if you want to start mining, please head over to compassmining.io, which is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G dot I-O. Next up today, we have Gemini who I am now using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin. And do you know what? We're coming up to a year and I've still not sold a single sat through Gemini. I am only buying Bitcoin. I am a hodler. That's all I'm doing. Now, I have been using the Gemini app for buying the dips, but I've also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. And I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With a streamlined training view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing all through one clear, attractive interface. And Gemini are running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. Now, if you want to find out more, please do head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD. That is G-E-M-I-N-I dot com forward slash WBD. Next up, we have my new sponsor to the show, which is Level, a company finally delivering on the promise of a Bitcoin bank. Yes, a bank on your phone where you can deposit, spend and hold Bitcoin. And you can also do this alongside a traditional dollar checking account. You can deposit your payroll into your account as a US user, and you can even spend your Bitcoin from your account via your MasterCard debit card. I have been testing it out. I've been playing with the app and it is everything I've ever wanted from personal banking and there's so many more updates coming. They've got some big updates coming in February, so keep an eye out for that. Now, if you do want to find out more, if you want to go and check it out, please head over to Level, which is LVL.co, or search for Level, which is LVL, in the Google or Apple app stores. Also, we have Sportsbet.io, the very best place for online gaming because they're badasses and they accept Bitcoin. Now, we are well into the football season, and you know what? Things are going all right. It's been a pretty good season so far for Liverpool. Tottenham struggling as ever. We always like it that way. Now, if you are interested in football, if you do want to make a bet, and if you want to use your Bitcoin, then sportsbet.io is the place to go. But they don't just cover football. They also cover tennis, motorsports, US sports. They even cover esports. And for new customers, they always have a range of promotions available. So if you want to find out more, please head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. Mark, good to see you, man. Yeah, Peter. Thanks for having me. 
a lot of people are going to be very excited about this. That last show we did crushed it. Uh, 90,000 downloads already, nice. which is big for the show. That's above average. It was very, very popular. Uh, well, I like to consider myself above average, so. Well, <laughs> you are, my man. Cheers. Cheers to that. Well, listen, there's a lot to get into. We said we would do a second show. Yeah. Oh, no, actually, let's, let's rewind a touch. The book. The book. There were comments. Yeah. People saying, write the book. It's underway. It's underway. Yeah. Yes. I uh, signed a deal with a company and um, I've got the outline done and we're working on the first couple chapters right now. Um, a lot of it, you know, some of the criticism that we had from the first episode, I went and read most of the comments on there. Um, some of the, so I've given this, uh, this talk in five minutes and I've given it in an hour and I think we talked about an hour. A lot we, of we did more than an hour. Oh, was it okay? What were you like two and a half hours, Danny? Uh, it well, yeah, two hours, but two, two hours. hours. Well, time goes by, yeah. by when you're having fun. But, um, the point is, is that we covered a lot of ground in two hours, uh -huh. and so, like, how detailed can you get? And a book like this is going to be eight or nine hours, and so, of course, it's going to have dozens and dozens of specific facts and dates. And so, um, yeah, I mean, how detailed can you get in a two hour conversation? We, we covered a lot of ground, but, um, the book will have all of that in there. I want to read this book. And you know what? It's uh, when you read the comments, there is a natural, we have this natural disposition to focus on the negative ones, but it was universally popular yeah. with some criticism. Sure. And you're never going to have 100% of people like the show, but it was very, very popular. Yeah. It, it will be one of the most popular shows I've made. Yeah, nice. And the book should be out this fall. Damn. That's my goal, this fall. Well, I want a signed uh, first print edition. Yeah. And uh, are you going to narrate it or Guy Swan? That's a good question. I don't know. I think you need to do it because you've got a strong, Maybe. quite, quite unique accent. I'd like to hear you do it, but that means you have to actually do it, which is a ball ache. Depends on how long it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on how long it is. All right, man. Well, listen. I, I just wrote another book. You I just did? wrote a book. Okay. Alex Fetsky and I locked ourselves in an Airbnb for five days, like three weeks ago, and wrote a book. Okay. Tell me about that. It's uh, it's the Uncommunist Manifesto. The Uncommunist. Okay. Tell me. We took the Communist Manifesto, mm -hmm. which is an ideology that won't go away. Is it, a, is it an ideology or is it an observation of which ideology came from? Well, you have people, the, the leaders of BLM say we are trained Marxists. So if I'm a trained Marxist, that means Marxism, which Marxism comes from that, right? But that's what I mean. Does it come from it? Because I spoke to Steve Keen, an economist, and I was like, Marx is responsible for deaths of hundreds of millions of people. He's like, no, Marx observed how he, he, his book is about observations. It's no, people who no, that's them. not true at all. That's 100% not true. No? Uh, so in the book, it says- I've not uh, read it. Yeah. And, and most people haven't. And if they did, they would go, what the heck? This is crazy. It's actually evil. And actually, it's a book lit. It's not even a book. It's a book lit. It's 8,000 words. The average person can read 200 words in uh, a minute. So it's about a 45-minute to 60-minute read. And no one's really read it. So what we did right. is we, was we took the book. It's four chapters, 8,000 words. And we took it and rewrote it and tried to keep the same structure, four chapters. We came up with about 10,000 words. Um, so you could read it in about an hour. And we reframed it. So we took what he did and just reframed it the way that we thought it should be. So he outlined the struggle as every, everything in life is a struggle, right? Mm -hmm. All animals, all humans, we struggle in life. Um, he framed it as a struggle between classes of people. 
the proletariat and the bourgeoisie, the rich and the poor. Um, Hitler had to struggle between races, right? Um, we redefined it on a new axis, and the struggle is not between classes. The struggle is between the individual and the collectivist that tries to put them into groups. That's the struggle. And so we reframed it from that lens. Um, obviously, he went heavy into socialism. We redefined what capitalism is. Um, and then what Marx did is in one of the chapters, I think chapter three, he compared socialism against all these other types of socialism. We compared capitalism against all these other types of capitalism, cronyism, mm -hmm. uh, colonialism, et cetera, and kind of broke that down. Um, and, uh, but like I said, kept the structure. Now back to the point about it was well, not- Well, hold on. Are we going to get Mossism? Uh, no, no. Svetskyism. Svetskyism. Um, but back to the back to that comment about an observation, that's totally not true. So uh, a couple of things. One, in the book, he says, if we were to summarize in one statement what this is, uh, what Marxism is, it's the abolishment of private property rights. Period. That's it. So it was a call. And then in the end, on the last page, he says... Uh, calling all the working men of the world to unite come and take like it's a it's a call to arms it's okay. not it's not an observation at all it's a it's a marching orders danny can we get that ordered can we get it here tomorrow i'm gonna read it tomorrow right amazon prime amazon prime yeah so uh uncommunist.com we're gonna um the goal is to have a at least a thousand copies printed before bitcoin conference Okay. Try to do some book signings there. And it's just a public service announcement. Uh, we just want to, we want people to read it. We want people to, to be pretty digestible, easy to read, um, and really reframe this individual versus the collectivist, which is a lot of what we're going to talk about today. Yes, we are. So listen, not everybody listens to every show. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be some people coming in right now. They're going to see, I don't know if we called the other one part one, but they're going to see that this is a follow-up. Yeah. Or they're going to know it's a follow-up from what we're saying now. And uh, and what I will say, anyone listening now who didn't listen to that, press stop or press pause. <laughs> go back. We're about 10 episodes ago, 12 episodes ago. Listen to the first interview I did with Mark Moss because you need to listen to that before you listen to this because that's going to frame what we're going to talk about today. That said, some people, are, they won't do that. I think or, it's going to work either way, but they should. Or, but, but also, some people won't remember the entire conversation. Yeah. So can you just like... Can you try and do a, like a TLDR summary of what we spoke about last time, cycles, yep. where we're at? Yep. So to recap and kind of set the stage for where we're going is that um, what's going on in the world today is crazy. Uh, mm -hmm. Everybody wants to know, like, like we've never seen this before. People are at each other's throats. Uh, tensions have never been high. Um, governments are trying to take powers uh, that they've never had. Um, you know, lockdowns, mandates, protests, uh, financial systems blowing apart, everything, like the whole world isn't being turned upside down. And uh, a lot of people think that um, this might blow over, things go back to normal, things like that, or this was a black swan event. Who could have ever known that there would be this virus that would cause this? Because that's, that's why all these protests are happening, right? Uh, it's because of the, the virus, et cetera. And what I would say is, no, that's not true. As a matter of fact, we did know this was going to happen because this is a cycle of history that we're in. And so if we go back in a long enough period of time and look back, we see that while progress is um, exponential and it's going like this, um, it repeats their cycles that repeat within there. Okay. Um, so that's kind of the, the premise of it. And then um, what we did is that we looked at um, with, with financial indicators, um, typically you're looking for an indicator that tells you where you think things would be going. And with indicators, you don't want one indicator. You want multiple indicators that try to kind of tell you the same thing. And so what, what I've done is I've looked at um, – 
different cycles that operate on different timeframes that are in different parts of the market. And so we talked about three, one, like political cycles, and those operate like on an 84 year cycle, which is a regime change or a populist uprising. So about every 84 years, we see this populist uprising, which we're seeing right now, 84 years ago was um, end of World War II. 84 years before that was, we were just talking about Karl Marx. He wrote the Communist Manifesto back then. And then three times 84 equals 252, which is the big revolution cycle. So 250 years ago was American French Revolution. 250 years before that was Protestant Reformation. So that's the political cycle. And then we looked at the technological revolutions, which operate on a 50-year cycle, 40 to 60. Uh, also could be known as a K-wave cycle. And so, um, again, 40 to 60, I just call it a 50-year cycle. And a technological revolution is not a new technology like an iPhone. And technological revolution is something that changes the course of humanity, changes the way humanity works. Um, so that was the Industrial Revolution change the world. Um, that was uh, steam engines for all of humanity. We had horsepower, manpower, and we had steam engines. We had railways. We could send stuff across continents. Um, then we had electricity and steel. Obviously, electricity doesn't need an explanation. Steel, we could build skyscrapers and bridges. Um, oil, automobiles for all of humanity. People walked and rode horses. Now we had cars and transportation. Um, 1971 was the age of the microprocessor, which brought us telecommunications, personal computers, internet. What we're doing now, right now changed the course of humanity. Um, and now we're witnessing another one. So that's on a 50-year cycle. And then the third one was the financial revolutions, which was um, about every eight years, the financial system gets reset. 80 years ago was the Bretton Woods Agreement, which is the entire world financial system was reset. Um, and today the IMF is calling for a Bretton Woods II. Um, and then we can, you know, we can see, you know, interest rates are at zero or negative most of the world. Uh, hundreds of trillions of dollars of debt have been printed and created and we're out of moves. When you're playing a game, you're out of moves, you're ready to reset the game. And so what's interesting is financial 80 years, technology 50 years, political 250 years. And they're all converging. And they're all converging right now. Right. Okay. So there, let's deal with a few of the criticisms first and let you answer those. Yeah. Because I think let's, let, let's deal with that. Yeah, yeah. People had some and that's the fairest way to do it. They're like, I think I spent most of, uh, most of that last interview going, huh. Yeah. Huh. And I think it sometimes I, I wasn't even thinking of things to challenge back, but th there were some. Sure. Um, so one of them was, could you be cherry picking data? Do you have a, do you have a, a particular bias? Because we're talking about the pendulum swimming, swinging from centralization to decentralization, yep. from collectivism to individualism. And you are someone who's a proponent of decentralization, you are an individualist. Is there a chance that you are cherry picking data? So uh, first of all, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I'm a, I'm a proponent of a decentralization. Okay. Um, pure decentralization is probably just as bad as pure centralization is. Good. So pure decentralization would be complete chaos and anarchy. You're not an anarchist. And I don't think that sounds like the best way to live where like, did Peter poison my drink? Like, uh, is this safe to eat and drink? Like, I don't want to have to verify. Like, we need a certain amount of trust in order to live in society. So pure anarchy doesn't sound good. Like, we can go live in Somalia. That wouldn't be so good. Um, and I think then pure centralization doesn't sound good either, where I can't even decide what I want to wear or what I do want to drink. And so I think either extreme is bad. And I think there's somewhere in the middle, right? Life is about nuance and life is about give and take. And so what happens is that we go so far to one way, we're so centralized that now the pendulum swings back, but we overcorrect. Every time. 
every time. And then we go so decentralized that then we swing back to decentral or centralization again as so we swing back and forth. So um, that's the way it works. And that's the way um, all these work. We overcorrect and then we swing back and overcorrect again. So anyway, to the first point, um, I probably do have biases, right? I mean, I probably, I'm definitely more of a freedom maximalist than most people. Um, but I do understand that any overdeveloped strength becomes a weakness. And so I think you can definitely go too far there. Yeah, yeah. And just just to interject there, because you've made that point on you, you, you don't believe in anarchism. You think that that is, um, that's not the world you want to live in. But there are anarchists and there are Bitcoiners who are anarchists. Where are you on the whole idea of, because this conversation came up yesterday with VJ. Where, or two days ago now with VJ, where we were discussing the idea of pure freedom, and and VJ said he thinks there's risks in pure, hundred percent liberty, pure freedom. Um, and I myself, not not an anarchist, uh, I'm a, I always say the term the reluctant status. I'm a status. I, I believe in democracy and government. VJ was talking about post democracy, talking about city states, which I think have their own issues. Where are you in that kind of field? Are you somebody who thinks that it's good to have some kind of central government and central governance? Or do you think that is completely fraught with danger and shouldn't be considered? So even that, there's nuance in that. Yeah, so of course. Um, central governance, well, it depends. So what I would say about that is uh, Ludwig von Mises, no, no, it was uh, Frederick Hayek, one of my favorite economists, mm -hmm. Austrian economist. Um, he wrote, I think it was seminal work, was called Constitution of Liberty. Nobody's ever going to be as smart as these guys were ever again. That book has 1,900 citations in nine different languages. Okay. It was like a seminal work, but it's the Constitution of Liberty. And in that, he explains what liberty is. And so I use that definition. So he describes liberty as freedom from coercion. Mm -hmm. That means that I am free to choose a direction that leads to my own ends. So if you tell me, hey, Mark, you have freedom to choose. You can choose to take the jab or lose your job. That's your choice. And that's not free choice. That's coercion because either way I choose leads to your ends. I need a way that I can choose that leads to my own ends. So I would define liberty as freedom from coercion, freedom to choose. Now, um, when you talk about central planning, of course, we need central planning. Somebody has to organize. That has to happen. But it should be done in a small enough way that allows me freedom to choose. So, for example, um, I used to live in a gated neighborhood, and it had an HOA, a homeowners association. And you can't park your car on the street overnight, right? You can't do this. You can't do that. And uh, that's really nice because the neighborhood's beautiful. All the houses look clean, no cars on the road, et cetera. But then there's also a lot of restrictions that I didn't like. And they got some new board members in and they got even more restrictive and we moved out. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay having that central authority in that small realm in the sense that I can move somewhere else and I can vote with my feet and we can allow competition to determine what system works best. The problem is when we have 330 million people in the United States all under one old guy's fist and he doesn't know what we want out here on the beach in Malibu and I have nowhere to move to change that. Now, of course we do globally. And so then we can talk about sizes, what the optimal size is, but that's the way I look at it. I want liberty. I want the freedom to choose. And in that gated neighborhood, I didn't have the freedom to choose, but I did have the freedom to move. And I was okay. able to do that. Okay. But so any form of taxation is coercion then? Uh, well, I paid a homeowner's, I, I paid a homeowner's, uh, I paid a monthly fee for my homeowner's association. So that would be, it wasn't taxation in a sense. So it depends on how you define taxation. Obviously taxation where they steal my wealth or inflate it away through taxation as way, inflation. But in that HOA example, I paid a monthly fee. I think it was like 450 bucks a month to be in that. Um, and that's perfectly okay. Everybody pays 
the same 450 bucks a month. Doesn't matter if the house was bigger or smaller. We all pay because we all receive the same benefit and services. And if I don't like that, then I just move to another neighborhood with no HOA or less. But if, if say, the United States was, everything was arranged in that structure and there's no federal government, you know, there's no central government. The, the problem that I see overall, if we're going to blank, try to blanket statement, is that we are not receiving value for the fee that we're paying. Oh, I agree with that. But, uh, and it's something I'm really trying to like nail down with people because uh, every time I talk to somebody like VJ, I get pulled away from my views on state of, statism and democracy, but I never get fully there. Right. Because there are certain things that I never feel get fully solved. And I always want to push on the trickiest parts of that. And try and understand where people are coming from because I think it's okay to hold these views, but it's I always want to say, well, how do you solve this problem? Like, should there be regulations? Should there be laws? So I would I would let the free market decide those things. A couple examples. So one, obviously, California. We're in California at the time of this recording, which has the highest state tax in the nation. Uh-huh. Not just the highest, but almost double the second highest. Um, or I could just go to eight or nine other states like Texas or Florida and not pay any state taxes. Okay. And that's for freedom for me to choose. And so I could decide, Hey, what, you know, California has other benefits. And so I'm willing to pay more for the benefits that I have in California, or I'm willing to go to one of these other states that have less benefits and I pay that. Right. So that's one, one way we can. Sorry, but that that's, that's figuring out your options within this current structure. Mm -hmm. You still, if you move to Texas, you're still going to have to pay property tax. Sure. Still, which is coercion. What I'm trying to do is I'm, I'm trying to understand more towards the end solution. I think coercion is only, like I said, when coercion is me not being able to make a decision that leads to my own end. So I'm being forced into your own end. So I don't have to move to Texas and pay property taxes. Or I just bought a 12 and a half acre ranch in Texas. And I my, the property I bought would have a $60,000 a year taxes, property taxes on it. But because I have cows, I pay 1300 a year. But, so but isn't, that, isn't that 1300 still coercion? Because you don't have the option not to pay it. Mm. Do you see what I'm trying to get to? I don't have- because it, it, when you answered like that, it makes me think, okay, perhaps you are okay with government as long as the government's distributed and I can choose between, like we don't have that choice in the UK. You have one, one tax system, one territory. I can't move anywhere else in the UK and materially change my life. Right. So I don't have that option and I don't like it. Like I envy the opportunity people have here to, to choose which, which state to live, to move with their, you know, vote with their feet. But what I'm trying to understand for people who, who don't like coercion, don't like government, what is it the end solution they're trying to get to? Is it no federal government? That makes sense. Uh, I, would, or- I, would, I would start there. So de- definitely start there. Um, the United States was meant to be 50 independent states. Well, yeah. it wasn't 50 at the time, obviously, but decentralized government yeah. in a sense. Um, and so we should have the freedom to choose. And what hap- And the reason why this is important and the reason why this is the market, it, it could depend, is because what happens is then competition starts kicking in, right? And so if we were two businesses trying to buy for a customer's product uh, or a business, then I'm going to come up with ways to provide them a better product or service at a better price than you. So I'm going to outcompete you. I'm going to give them better product and service for a better price. I'm going to invest into some R&D. I'm going to invest in some better people. I'm going to figure out a way to give them something better for less. 
without competition, there's no, there's no benefit. So now I'm just going to charge them whatever I want to charge them and I don't care. Right. And so it's through that competition. So when, if we saw states truly competing, then they could compete on things like property taxes. Well, I could lower property taxes, but then how am I going to pay for this? Well, what we could do is I could do this, this, and this, right. And they start innovating and they start coming up with ways to attract more people and the free market can decide. The problem with the federal government is that there's no, none of that competition because now everything has become federal. But localized state-based government is still government. It, it is still government. Yeah, yeah. And I think we're always going to need government. And this is where I differ that, from that's a lot. What, that's what I'm trying to get to yeah. is do you believe in that? And that's okay because I do as well. Yeah, I, I, uh, maybe a little different than you, but I think, of course. But, but agree. I mean, uh, different. me different from like anarchists believe that vote. we should never have voting. Like voting is ridiculous. But it's like, well, in the HOA, you, you think we should have, not you, but this anarchist, we should have like private police, for example. Okay, well, who's going to decide who that private police is? And, you know, whatever. And I guess they would see it more as like um, entrepreneurs running districts. And that's not a bad thing. Depends. Well, I don't think it is because this kind of goes back to, um, this goes back to Milton Friedman's uh, thoughts of, of profit being our main driving force, right? And so if I'm driven by profits, I'm always going to do best. And people don't agree with this. They say, no, if these greedy corporations are driven by profit, they're going to be motivated to um, increase profits and cut corners and provide bad service. I don't believe that. I don't believe that to be true. And facts show me otherwise. So for example, if you drive by the local high school, all the businesses have signs on the local high school sponsoring them. Why? Why would they sponsor? Why would they give money to the sports program? because they would hope that they would get business from that. So they're using philanthropy as a way to get more profits. Now, for example, what about the environment? These companies are going to screw over the environment, really? Because if I care about the environment, I would only shop with companies that do good things for the environment. And so by then- that's not strictly true. It is true. Look at Patagonia, for example. Patagonia has built their entire brand on that. They sell at a premium, almost double what other products do, and they've done amazingly well. Yeah, but there are still plenty of companies out there who whose products and services damage the environment and people still use it. Like, like, I am an I, like I care about the environment and I fly way too much and I'm massively concerned about it because sometimes convenience. Yeah, not everyone can afford Patagonia. Yeah, some people have to take H&M. So I, I understand what you're and, saying. And I know, but then the other, then, so then this, these, these are like fun strings that are pulling on. Yeah. And this is why the free market should decide this stuff because nobody has the answer because everything has a cost-benefit analysis. Of course, yeah. So everything has a cost-benefit analysis. So to your point, not everyone can afford Patagonia, so the poor people should walk around naked? No, that's not what I'm saying. No, I know you're not saying that, but my point is is they shouldn't, and so there needs to be options for different people. And um, while I think there could still be an option to make a lower-priced product that still is somewhat... Uh, socially responsible, not using slave labor, et cetera. Um, again, I think if the market demands it, it will be there. And, and, we, and, and a couple examples of this would be um, milk being hormone-free. That wasn't a thing a while ago, but people wanted it to be, and now it is, right? Or kosher food, for example. Now most food is kosher because people, small people wanted it, small percentage of the population wanted it. So um, you mentioned regulation before. Um, in the supplement space, um, there was kind of this uh, exclusion where you could make supplements outside of FDA approval. And so you go to like a GNC or like a health food store, right? And they have all these health food supplements and whatever, but they were all getting through without FDA. But the problem is there was no regulation to your point. So the industry decided to self-regulate. 
So the industry set up a couple labs and a couple of testing. And if you would submit your product to there, they would certify it and stamp it. And there was a couple of different labs that would compete. And me as a consumer would go, oh, they spent the money to have this tested and approved at this lab. It's self-regulation. How do we know we can trust that lab? Well, because the labs compete. But how do we know they don't collude? They, I mean, these are well, the things I, mean, I don't know. Like, for example, I, I can give you better examples. DuPont. I don't know if you've seen the film Dark Waters. Um, there was a, a journalist who wrote a really interesting piece on the research of what DuPont did, where they were essentially poisoning the land and the cows started dying and people started getting cancer. And they spent, I think it might even been like two decades trying to sue DuPont. And DuPont did everything to crush these people, did everything to crush these people in a completely unregulated world. Where markets compete and there's a complete free market, what do we do about DuPont poisoning the land where there's no, there's no one, there's no regulation against what, what they're doing? I guess what I would say is that, um, one, that, that's possible. Yeah. And two, there should be some sort of a testing or some sort of regulation to, to kind of monitor that or, or prevent that. But what I would say is the difference is, do you think the FDA or the EPA is the one that has your back? Really? Do you, the FDA, like the people, the FDA that work at the pharmaceutical companies and it's a revolving door going back and forth and all like Pfizer's paid the biggest criminal fines of any farm. Like you think the FDA has your back. So I would rather if I have to trust some regulatory body to regulate these types of things, I would rather have a little bit of competition going in there. So I know they're keeping each other honest as opposed to one crony government. And, and I'm, I'm with you on the FDA. And sometimes I have to extric extricate myself. Is that the correct word? Um, I have to separate myself from the U.S. because the U.S. Is, has particularly different setup from, say, where I'm in the U.K. Um, and I, of course, don't trust Pfizer. Um, and, and, and I don't. And I'm not even trying to pick them out, but even like Moody's credit rating agencies, for example, yeah. right, or the SEC or any of these bodies, they're all corrupted. And I would rather see a few people competing. Are they more? Are they more recently corrupted? Hence the cycle. Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And and that's why I I'm wondering: Are we? Is there a risk of throwing the baby out with the bath water because of where we are right now when actually what we should do is strengthen and rebuild institutions rather than burn them to the ground and try something else? Because there are other things I worry about, Mark. I, age of consent. How do you legislate for the age of consent without any centralized authority creating those rules? That's one that particularly worries me. Or you know, we have um, you know, child welfare yeah, institutions in the UK who you but, know, but, worry but, about But those. take the age of consent for a second. Yeah. Okay. So right now, I mean, they, uh, they, they shut off the sitting president of the United States off of Twitter. And you have these people on Twitter today calling for lowering the age of consent as low as four. Yeah. Well, they're obviously psychopaths. I, and I ignore him. I agree. I agree hundred percent. But even in this hundred, <laughs> of course I agree. Uh, this is something that you would think anybody would agree on. Like, we don't even have to have a discussion. Of course, that's wrong, right? But no, like you have teachers in schools and like legislators in, in law and on Twitter that are calling for this to happen. And this is in your, or whatever, in this 100% centrally controlled system. It's obviously not working. Well, no, but, but, it, but it is. The age of consent exists. Yeah, but and, they're, they're trying really hard to change it. But that's a different point. The point is that it does exist and it's centrally controlled. And if you break the age of consent, if you go, if you're a 40 year old man and you're going to have sex with a 16 year old in the US or a 15 year old in the UK, you will be arrested yeah. and you will be charged. I worry about that's one of the things I worry about in an unregulated. I think you're I think you're confusing. I, I don't think anybody thinks about unregulated. 
Well, I, I don't think even even the anarchists wouldn't think of things being unregulated. Well, they do. No, they don't. What they do is it's who's doing the regulating. Well, okay, but who is? Who yeah. is doing the regulating? So what it would be is, for example, I'm a you know rich billionaire, whatever, and I go buy you know however many hundreds of acres and I set up my own town and I'm going to build 3,600 homes and have my own marina. I'm going to build my own city, right? Mm -hmm. Well. Just like my corporation, where I set culture and policy in my corporation and we enforced rules in my new town or city, I have rules and regulations that I enforce in that town as well. And then um, you set yours up 500 miles away and you set up your rules and regulations in your town and you enforce them in your city and your town. And then we compete. And uh, I hope we don't start competing on age of consent because that would be a weird scenario whereby... Epstein would set up his place with a very low age of consent and all the pedos and nonces would head there. Yeah, and I think um, what would happen is nobody would head there. Uh, but, the, but they would. So maybe you would have, well, I don't, I don't know if they would. So, I mean, if we... I think, I think we're trying to circle something which is, which is a, one of the flaws in an unregulated I don't, I, don't think, I don't think it's a flaw because basically we're saying the same thing. Somebody is going to have to make a rule that that's not okay. And you're saying it should be a state, and I'm saying it should be a state. I'm saying it should be a very tiny state. You're saying it should be a very big state. We're all saying the same thing. What I'm saying, though, that's different is that when you have a very big state in your solution, it becomes very corrupted. And when you have smaller states that are forced to compete against each other, they'll stay true and honest. What if my state is five houses and I create my rules within there that allow me to abuse young girls? And I yeah. say, well, that's my state. Well, your little five state is going to get ran over with a friggin' steamroller because those five kids' parents are going to come take you out. Well, it could be your own child. What I'm saying is, like, I think it, I think this is a flaw that isn't fully thought out, and I think we're, tr I think, and, and I commend you for trying, but I, I'm not seeing an answer to that. I think there's certain things that need aggregated at a much wider level. I think some things work really I, I, bad at a wide level. I yeah. think, I think, for example, uh, certain policies coming from a federal government for 330 million people are clearly ridiculous. Yeah. But I think certain policies like aggregating age of consent for 330 million people, I think that's actually a good thing. And that's something that, that I put in the bucket of, I don't think that's one's fully but, thought but, through. But let's think about that a little bit further. So for example, we have the Uyghur situation in China yeah. going on right now. Um, interesting enough, I saw Nancy Pelosi today, she's been coming out pretty hard against this, this whole situation. As a matter of fact, calling for a ban on the Olympics. Okay. I my notion to talk about. Uh, yeah, right. I mean, I think um, globally, most people, there's certain things that almost everyone can agree on. Mm -hmm. The age of consent being one of those, right? Like Tottenham being shit, the other one. Pretty much universally. Like, yeah, <laughs> there's certain things we can agree on. And so I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess it just comes down to, like I said, uh, whether it's on a small level or a big level, somebody is going to have to make that policy and enforce it. And I think it's just better to be done on a small scale where it can be competed against and held true. If people don't want it, then they're not going to support it. And yeah. I think that's just universally yeah. acceptable. Well, this is why I think I, I support a lot of the ideas of localism. I support the, like, Brexit was great. I, I believe the breakup of Europe for some reasons would be better, for other reasons not. But but I also feel like in the US, you've got some things really right and, and maybe other things not. And I think this trying to package it all up into one always fails, packaging up everything uh, centralized is clearly wrong or completely individual really wrong. But I feel like there are just some things that haven't been solved. We've gone a real tangent here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We went re re really into this age of consent thing. Um, well, I just think that's a, that's a really good example. But, the, but, but there are others. It's like child protection. If they're one of the things that, 
I'm not sure it ha what happens here, but in the UK, is we have certain government agencies. Child protection is an agency that we have, and their job is a lot. A lot of these problems, though, also I think are um, new modern type problems. Yeah. And this this goes with the breakdown of society. So a hundred years ago, was age of consent a big problem? I just don't think it existed, or it, it wasn't as visible. But or, sure. or child protection was that a big need? I, it was probably needed, but but society was different. I I, I would expect there were and so, so pedos and abusive people through the history of time. Sure, uh, on a very 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 tiny scale, and it's probably dealt with locally, right? Um, and so I'm not I'm never talking about a world of without rules, and so bad things happen. But I think a lot of what we're talking about are dealing with the breakdown of society and the problems that we have. And really, that's like trying to treat a symptom as opposed to trying to go to the cure. And so I think if we can, and this is part of in the book, The Uncommunist Manifesto, he's about, uh, and Karl Marx was about break the end of the um, nuclear family. He thinks it should be abolished. He said that the bourgeoisie only have kids for exploitation. That's it. They only look at women as, as uh, baby factories, basically. And I'm like, where, where did he get that? Like, who did he even talk to to come up with that idea? And so um, if we could rebuild the nuclear family back to like 100 years ago when families were together and kids worked on the farm with their dad and like you didn't have all these societal problems that we have today. So we're trying to kind of manage things on a, on a, on a you know, micro level when really we need to fix the bigger macro picture. I'm not sure I entirely agree, I, but, I, but I, have, I can't prove it. But yeah, I, we don't I, know. I'm sure abuse and violence in the family home has been sure, a it's historical. Always it's, sure. always, it's always happened. But we now have institutions at least trying to protect against this. Uh, and, and, and the reason I bring up these is that I worry about the vulnerable groups in this new structure. When yeah. we're anarchists, libertarians, I do worry about the vulnerable groups. And yes, trying to protect vulnerable groups has been done through coercion. It's been done through taxation. And it's been done through like centralized entities. But, but at the same time, we do have protection for vulnerable groups. We, we have... You know, in the UK, again, we have built um, we've built a society which uh, makes it so that those people who are in wheelchairs or have certain uh, physical difficulties have no issues with access to buildings and public buildings as such. But again, if I'm a if I'm if I'm a if I'm a building owner or a business owner and I want to have business, then I'm going to make it accessible for those people to come. And if I don't, then somebody else will, and they'll get the business. But sometimes maybe nobody will because it's not economically worth it. And that's why I'm just saying, it's like, this is, this is the, I can be economically conservative and I can be a bit liberal and progressive at times. And, and, and I, I think the protection it, of vulnerable groups is where I definitely go onto the progressive side. No, I, I, I think the disagreement or, or where there may be a little difference, I should say, not disagreement, is that while we both see the same problem. Yeah, we definitely do. And we both agree that there should be a solution. The difference is that I believe that people will solve it and you believe people that will solve it. The difference is you believe those people have to be part of a central authority government and I believe people don't have to be part of it. So we actually, we, actually, I'll answer me. But, I actually think in some, depending on the problem, I think in some instances it's better in a centralized institution. Sure, but, how big, but how big of a central institution? That, that's the well, question. That's the question, right? And that's where that's where the pendulum swings and yeah. swings, and then we keep trying to find. We go too far one way, and we come back another way. But maybe that's just the way it will always be uh, until the robots take over. Sure. Well, because there's no perfect. Yeah. There's exactly. no such thing as perfect. Yeah. The, what, what's perfect is to allow us to kind of decide what we want to do, solve a lot of these problems that have created all these um, situations we have to manage in the in the in the in the short term. Um, a lot of it. Um, 
And a lot of it comes down to, and really, I mean, if we kind of kind of want to move on from there a little bit, is that if we look at the way the world works, we organize the way that we organize the way that we work and coordinate is uh, has a has a lot to do with this. So, for example, going back to these cycles of history, we can see um, when the Protestant Reformation happened, the church had that kind of central authority over over the people, and once that got broken because the printing press got out there and people started getting the information, um, we started getting this like, explosion of, uh, of science and technology and thought, which was the Renaissance age, yep. right? And that blew up, which then led to new technologies like the Industrial Revolution, which then caused all these people from the farms and the factories to start moving into cities. So you had all these people that were decentralized living all across the open fields and in small family units on the farm, working together collectively, right? Feeling a sense of purpose, helping their neighbors, helping their friends. And then they start moving into cities and start centralized, start living on top of each other in skyscrapers. And then for the last 250 years that, that the whole pendulum has swung towards centralization. So then you had to move to the cities to have jobs and you had to work in factories and you had to work on top of each other and you had assembly lines and you had that. And so for the last 250 years, the world has been organizing towards that way. And if you wanted to make money, you had to move to a city and not just city, you had to move to America and not just America, but New York or Chicago. And it's created this. And what happened is then because as all that power got centralized down, the state was able to grow bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger because now what are you going to do? Move your factory? Yeah. No, like yeah, we'll, just, we'll just tax you, right? And so it's allowed this state to grow bigger. And then as the state gets bigger, they start trying to help a lot of people. Uh, here's an example. Hey, my, well, Elon Musk moves his factory. My sister, uh, my younger sister is an ER doctor. She went to uh, her residency or whatever was in Philadelphia, in the very poor um, area of Philadelphia. And she was just starting in the ER room and she would have these young teenage girls come in and to the ER. And she's like, what's going on? And they're like, oh, we want you to um, help us get pregnant. She's like, why, why would I help you get pregnant? She had just gotten there. She was new. Well, because if I get pregnant, then the state will give me money and they'll give me a house and they'll give me childcare. And the more babies that I have, the more money they give me. And so what's well-meaning by the state, um, it's the Cobra effect, right? Uh, what's well-meaning has unintended consequences. So next thing you know, you have girls with half a dozen babies from unwed you know, being unwed that are living in projects with a bunch of little badasses running around with no father figures. And then you can only understand what happens after, you know, 60, 70 years of that program. So while it's well-meaning of the state to do that, you start to see how these policies that they enact start getting away from them very badly. Yeah, no, look, I understand the misincentives as well. I got, like, I totally get it. Yeah. I totally get it. We did definitely just go on a tangent. We did, we did. <laughs> okay, look. Protect the children, though. We agree on that. No, I know we do. Okay, so look, back to this. Uh, and, and another point which definitely stands out to me is are your thoughts on this uh kind of global macro view or are you just specifically thinking of america or the americas because from europe the issues we have certainly in the uk or the rest of europe are different from the us we are not as divided or divisive across these issues we don't have the political split that exists here it happens but it doesn't feel like we are in as bad you, were, you, were, you were just talking about Brexit, really? <laughs> no, but, but Brexit like, was a divisive issue right. and it happened, it's done and we've moved on. But like other issues here whereby, I, I talked about this earlier with um, Natalie Brunel, whereby like, for example, are you vaccinated? Like there is a very strong left v. right vaccination divide. That doesn't really exist in the UK. The people really, because I, I see the videos of uh, that Belgium officer punching that 15-year-old girl in the face, and I see the people in Austria. No, no, like, I'm talking about the UK. The UK. Oh, and what I'm saying is, there are issues, and there are certainly 
problems across Europe. But what I'm saying is it doesn't see, seem to always be down such a political line. And I think one of the reasons is, is we're not a two-party system. The majority of Europe is a multi-party system. So you don't feel yeah. like, oh, I have to be on a, an a team. And it's not a criticism. It's more, is, is everything you're looking, looking at and all these theories, are, are you thinking global macro or is this like US-centric? It's, um, it's, it's global, but it's more like G7 or maybe G20. Right, it's developed. It's developed nations. Okay. So I would include Europe in that for mm -hmm. sure. And for some of the examples I just gave, um, I think uh, the EU was put together, what, almost 80 years ago. Yep. And if I look at the EU and all the different countries that are there, it's kind of like the United States, right? Each country is about the size of a different state here. Yeah, about that. About that, right? Um, and so the EU is about 60, almost 80 years old now. I think it was, what, 1964 or something like that. So about 80 years old. Um, and it's fragmenting. And it's fragmenting, just like there's different states here in the United States, we're starting to balkanize as well. So like, for example, um, here in the United States, um, last week, um, the Biden administration said they want to put executive orders, executive actions in place to regulate cryptocurrencies. And the Treasury has this new expanded power to regulate cryptocurrencies. But then Texas and Arizona are putting bills in to make it legal tender. Right. Um, after the mandates, after federal mandates went into place, 15 states, half or almost, I think, 26 states sued the federal courts because they didn't want to impose those. So there's a lot of pushback. And I would say the same is happening in Europe right now. So you have like uh, Austria and Germany are still super heavy mandates. And then you have uh, Switzerland and, um, Denmark. And, and have completely gone away from it. Yeah. You have... Uh, you have France who has moved into nuclear power and now they've got the EU to start calling nuclear clean energy, green energy, but you have Germany who's still shutting them down. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of that back and forth. We could sit here and cite examples all day that I think the Europe is But the, we but we don't we don't act really as a collective Europe. We are it, it, the EU was a political union and yes we had freedom of movement, but we don't have that kind of cross-border, country-to-country, left-free-right division. It exists in, in, it, mainly in silos in the countries themselves. Like, we don't generally give a fuck what France is doing or Germany is doing. But in, in our country, we... But we I think the same would be in the U.S., right? Where, like, uh, I don't really know what's going on in Wyoming here in California. You, it's slightly different. But people do because they go, they migrate from New York to Miami yeah. or they migrate from California to Texas. It's a little bit different. I think there's bit, yeah. two of the similarities I'd say is one, obviously the United States. So it's independent states that are united, United States of America. Um, but we're really bound by one federal organization, plus it's the money, the dollar. Mm. But also Europe has the same thing. So they have the EU and they have the euro. I think that's why it was maybe easier for the UK to get out. And the ECB, right? So the Europe is kind of set up the same. And anyway, back to the question, I think it's really G, G7 for sure, but G20 that are all kind of at the same age in this 80-year cycle. Okay. Um, and they're all reach this level of development. I wouldn't probably include, you know, the non-developed world in, so Central America, a lot of South America, probably like Brazil, those bigger countries. Um well, that's an interesting point because I don't know if you've read any of Balaji's work. He said, we need to stop talking about the first and the third world. He said, it's right. a useless term. Sure. We need to talk about the ascending and the descending world. Right. The, the US is part of the descending world, or maybe the whole G7. India is part of the ascending sure. world. And I, I thought that's a really good point. I don't know if you've read any of that. I haven't read that, but I have listened to some of Balaji. I was actually listening to him and Breedlove 
um, this morning in the car ride up here, and he was talking about India and how China basically came from nowhere 10 years ago. Who would have seen them where they are today? And he thinks that India will probably be in the same place. Mm. And I'd probably agree with that. Um, but I think um, what I'm talking about with these cycles is mostly developed world because of the time frames that they're on. Yeah. Um, so G20, uh, but I think it's going to affect the whole world overall. Yeah. And there was one more criticism. It was quite a big criticism. Is that the table was too big? Mm. Are we okay with this one? The table's good. There was one other criticism too, and I think they said people that it was very right-wing centric. They did? Yeah. So I think there was, that was one other one that was right-wing centric. And what I would say to that is... Um, can, I, can I add to that? It's a really funny thing. Whenever people say that, they use right-wing. I always thought they use it pejoratively. It's, it's almost like because it's right-wing, it's therefore bad. Right. Whereas, and, I, and, and that's one of those things that's like a real difficulty at the moment. It's like, if you want to work in Hollywood or work in Google, you have to be on the left. You left. can't be a Republican. Yeah. And, and that starting point of that, if you're a conservative person that you're already, you've already got your card marked as bad, I really fucking detest it. I detest the label overall. And so I think the labels have been completely misused and have forgotten what the meanings are. So for example, fascism is right and socialism is left like what what does that even mean so the way that i look at it is individualism versus collectivism yeah and so fascism and socialism are both collectivist right um and that's what we talked about in the book on uh -huh. communist manifesto and that's where we drew that axis <coughs> and so um rather than saying right or left or fascism socialism communism capitalism i just look at individual uh, individualism or collectivism and so is this right wing um, I think it's apolitical. So what we're talking about is cycles and we're looking at the way that the world has changed the way that it's organized. Um, we've looked at the way that technology has changed that and how it's going to change it again right now. Um, I look at Bitcoin as being apolitical. It's just a technology. When we digitized music and we digitized books and we digitized photos, was that a political thing? That was just progress. That was just technology. And now we're digitizing money. Well, well there is a caveat there in that digitizing music wasn't a threat to the regime, wasn't a threat to the state. It was a threat to all the music companies and they threw a big fit about it. I right? know, but what I'm saying is when you, when you want to digitize the money and you I want know. to take your hands out of the government, which is their largest weapon, let's be, let's be just no, for, fucking honest for about sure. this, is their for largest sure. weapon. When you digitize that, you, no, it's not that you digitize it. We've had digital money. When you decentralize it, you give a form of money they can't fucking control then it becomes a threat. And, and it's which political wing first it, identifies that or, or, or locks onto that. Now, luckily, here out in the US, whilst there is a conservative uh, lead in that race at the moment, there are more conservative people in Congress and the Senate who are Bitcoiners, there is a growing number of people who are more, not so much in uh, Senate Congress, more we tend to see it with people who kind of want to get into Congress. Want to get in the Senate who's saying they're Bitcoiners, taking the hack. I would, I, I, obviously, I agree with you. It's yeah. a threat to the political power. Yeah. It's a threat to politics. It's maybe not apolitical. It, maybe it's anti-political. But does that make it left or right? Oh, no, I'm with you. It's neither. It's apolitical. But people can make it a left or right based issue. Based off of their own bias. Yeah, based off whether they think it's a threat or not. And I, I, I can see it's really easy to identify why it would be the left who would see it as more of a threat or be more public about the threat 
because it's the conservatives who tend to be more economic conservative who care more about property rights. Right. So that is, an, it, I think, is only natural. And I think that's something we have to do as Bitcoiners, just as a separate point. We have to make the left realize this is not a threat. We have to deal with fuckheads like Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. So when you have Kristalina Georgina from the IMF calling for Bretton Woods to um, reset the financial system, is that left or right? Like, that is that is state. It's it's centralist. Yeah, totally. It's, right. So I, I don't know. Is that left or right? So like I don't see this as a left or right argument. Yeah. Um, if uh, if technology changes the way that we work, does that left or right? I don't know. It's just. So I don't I don't look at it that way. So yeah, I, yeah. I know that was a, I know that was a criticism. Um, I think maybe there were some comments where uh, we might have talked about the breakdown of society, and maybe we talked about maybe we talked about Marxism a little bit. So maybe thought that was a little bit right right wing. But yeah. anyway, I, I I I try to not really identify with either of those labels. I mean, I'm just thinking about. And it. I understand why you don't, but I see you as more of a conservative person. But I don't see that as a criticism. Yeah, and and. And as I said a moment ago, but 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 conservative, but at the same time, I'm I'm advocating for progress in technology. So isn't that a progressive? Like you know what I mean? It's like uh, it, it depends. Like because you've got buckets of things which conservatives and progressive right. uh, care about. That's why uh, Jonathan Haidt's book is really good because it explains to you why some people are conservative and some are liberal, and it's all to do with it's part nature but part nurture, and some of it's to do with the the the. Uh, construction of their brain and how their brain works but I mean what is it called The Righteous Mind it's a great book it gives you a really good understanding of why some people are one way and some people are because it's the things they care about and I think if there was more understanding more empathy for why somebody thinks one way and someone thinks another way you could get more consensus on bigger issues I actually and I actually think if this is funny I'm going to like undo my own arguments I actually think if you get rid of the corporate bullshit media you get rid of um, the, the that political divide. I think most people would get along. I think if you got two hundred people who are both Republican and uh, Democrat, and you got them to live together in a in a community, you got rid of social media and and the media just said just make this community work. They probably will get along. It's, it's hard. It's hard today, and the reason why is because they forced us to decide on issues we shouldn't have to be deciding on. Mm -hmm. So, for example, what do I mean by that? Um, obviously, the last 24 months has split people up. Yep. My neighbors that I've been neighbors with forever, like, we don't want to talk to each other anymore. It's horrible. But they've forced us to get divided over things that we should never have been thinking about or talking about. So, for example, um, should my kids be forced to take something or not? That should never be a decision that I or, should, or my neighbor should ever have to make. But all of a sudden, they've split us over that. And in an individual society, I should be free to choose. Now, you should also be free to choose if you want to give your kids that medicine. And you should even be free to choose to send your kids to a school that they only take that medicine if you want. But it shouldn't be down to a situation where we're forced to decide and, and be collective on that. And I think that's the problem. If you pulled all these issues back and kept it down just to the bare bones... We can agree. It's when you get into the nitty-gritty details, but more specifically, and I had this conversation specifically with somebody regarding the medicine topic. The problem is that are you are you saying medicine on purpose? Well, I don't know if it's going to go on YouTube or whatever, right? <laughs> oh yeah, good point. Um, should we just say COVID for the sake of it? Yeah, whatever. But, but the it. problem is like uh, I believe you should have the right to choose. You do what you want, I but when you agree. start trying to tell me what to do, that's when we have a problem. You're going to get me banned. From YouTube. No, I'm, I'm I'm a YouTuber, so I'm very careful on what I say. And I, and this is a this is a horrible part because 
I didn't even catch myself doing it, but I find myself censoring myself all the time. Self-censorship is censorship. And then when you censor what you're saying, I have to start censoring what I'm thinking. Self-censorship is censorship. I talk about this a lot. I talk about uh, people, again, I'm going to say there are elements within the Bitcoin community which have a similar set of views. And if other people come with views outside of that, they get attacked, they get insulted, they get they can, they, the mob can come after them. Right. And I think, well, I don't just think, I know people self-center. Somehow, I've got away with being this like uh, British. I don't know if you got away with anything. You I've take got, plenty of flack. I do, but what I'm saying, <laughs> it, it hasn't destroyed my career, but I get yeah. a lot of emails from people who say, yeah, Pete, thanks for talking about that. And, and I've, I've poked them. I said, why don't you talk about this? And it's like, I just don't want the mob to come after me. Yeah, That's self-censorship. And I think if we we can create environments of self-censorship, which exacerbates the same problems we're talking about of corporate media. Yeah. We create groupthink. And I think that's terrible for society. It's terrible for any for a number of reasons. That's a whole conversation on its own, which we'll yeah. talk about a little bit later. Well, listen, listen. So I think we've done with enough of the criticism and there wasn't a lot. I think a lot of people agreed with, not everyone. Um, my brother was one who came back and he loved the show. He really enjoyed it, but he, he was challenging me. He was, he was saying, I don't agree with all of this. And, push back on me but he does that with every show we did, we i think some of that was in where we went into some of the morality stuff on talking about the breakdown of society and and uh you know there's a difference of opinion i think that yeah. can be in there um, but for for the most part when we talk about the cycles and some of these big periods in history i mean it's indisputable it's fact no but I, and i'm i'm with you with where we are yeah not entirely on the solution but that's fine you probably would expect that anyway yeah that? i would expect it and and uh we don't know um, and I think the difference is somewhere in the middle. I really think the difference is where we're free enough to decide. So your choices don't affect my choices. Yeah. That's, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Okay. So, so if we, if we pick up, uh, now that we've kind of reached. How long have we done, Danny? Uh, we're at an hour or so. Oh, shoot. <laughs> I, I was like, right, we'll get the criticisms done in the first 10 minutes. And then we'll move on to the, like, the solution and where we're going. But, but before we start talking about because that was why we said we'll do a part two. And yeah. I'm sure we'll do a part three. I'm sure we'll just make a bunch of fucking shows. I love talking to you, Mark Moss. Um, why, if somebody's listening and they're a bit ambivalent, why should they care? Do they need, do people need to care? Do they just accept what happens or do people need, is the reason people should care is they should be prepared for what's coming. Like, what is the reason people should care? There's a couple of reasons. So the first reason is I think it makes sense of what's going on today. So there's a lot of people that are puzzled. They don't know what's going on. They're confused. They're anxious, et cetera. We know that this kind of, um, so, so why? Um, a lot of people think this is, like I said, a black swan in the beginning. Um, so I think it makes sense of what's going on. I think history also helps us make sense of what's going on, but also tells us where it's going in the future. Uh-huh. And not just exactly where it's going, but maybe some potential outcomes that it could go into. And uh, that's kind of what we framed up at the last one, like the battle for the fate of humanity. And I think um, based off of this market research and market cycles and all these types of things, over these next five years is going to be crucial. And I think that if people care about the way the world is in the future, if they have kids or they want to have kids or grandkids in the future, then they should care. And I think these next five years are crucial. And if they care enough, then they should probably get involved enough to try to help determine the outcome that they want. And is there a risk, we talk about the pendulum swinging, that it doesn't swing back? We go full authoritarian and the pendulum gets stuck in this weird, shitty fucking place. I'm, a, I'm afraid there is. And that's yeah. the battle for the fate of humanity. So that, yeah, 
that's the battle for the fate of man. And the, and the reason why is to kind of frame that talk is that we can see that the world is, is trending towards authoritarianism. The problem is that, um, it's the, it's the cost of maintaining that nation state. So in the Roman empire, for example, to keep their um, Roman army out on the fringes was clip, so, clip, clip. it was so expensive for them to do that. They couldn't manage that. Um, and the same has been with every empire after that. The problem is that now with technology, that cost of maintaining that power has gotten very cheap, very low. And so now through, it's all right here. When they get you to have to show this device to get access to society, freedom as a service, they call it. So instead of being born free, I have to work to get my freedom. So I have to show this to get access to a restaurant or a theater. I have to, um, my money has to be in a central bank digital currency in order to use the internet. I have to use a global ID. Once we get to there, like in China, the social, China. once we get to China. And so what China has been able to do is their cost to maintain that structure is very, very cheap. And so then they can scale it really big. Right. And they can prevent what you see. So you don't even get the idea. So my favorite quote I've been saying all the time is Samuel Adams said that it doesn't take a majority to prevail, rather a small, irate minority lighting brush fires in the minds of men. Wow. And so okay. if China can keep those brush fires from ever getting started, which they can, right? They can. The great firewall of China. Um, they can prevent me sharing those ideas with you to spread that fire as well. Um, they can use, um, through social credit score, they can keep me from, um, to be a good citizen so I can get my plane ticket, my bus tickets. In 2018, there was almost 20 million people that got, got denied travel. And that was in 2018, 20 million people that got denied travel in China because their social credit score is too low. And so they can prevent that. Um, and then they do this shame thing. So then like, as I'm walking in the street, there's a monitor that tells you that I'm coming, I'm a bad person, et cetera. So now there's this shame aspect. And so it makes their cost of uh, maintaining the system very low. And so then they can scale it out really wide. And I'm afraid that once that gets deployed globally, it could be very hard, if not impossible, to overcome that. And so history is a story, a, a cycle of, of freedom, oppression, and then revolution, and then freedom, oppression, revolution. But if they can keep that perfect prison with this technology, we may never have another revolution. Well, and revolutions in China are very difficult. Very difficult. They've tried. They've tried, although there could be another one coming. I, I saw George Soros the other day said, Xi's days in China may be numbered. And when Soros is saying that, you kind of want to pay attention to that. So that was kind of interesting comment. But let me tell you an interesting thing about these, just as a side point. Six months ago, I planned my daughter's birthdays coming up, and I planned to take her to New York. She loves Billie Eilish. Billie Eilish, Madison Square Garden. I'm going to give you the greatest present. You, your dad's away with work a lot of the year. It's shit for her, and uh, she puts up with it. And I'm just like, I'm going to give you a great present. Me, you, your brother. And uh, your best friend, you can bring your best friend. We're going to go to Madison Square Garden and see Billie Eilish. So I booked the flights, I booked the tickets. We can't go because in New York, in Madison Square Garden, we have to show proof of vaccination. Now, look, I'm vaccinated. People know that, and I'm cool. I'm not vaccinating my children. For me, it was a, a, a mass. It was a mass problem. I'm overweight. <laughs> I'm not the healthiest, and I'm 43. When I looked at the math, it's probably best that I'm vaccinated. And that was my personal free choice to do not enforcing anyone else, but I've never supported any form of a mandate. But in New York, not only does my son have to be vaccinated and prove it, my daughter has to be at, at 11 years old because under 12s have to be vaccinated. Even if I wanted to get her vaccinated, I couldn't because you can't vaccinate an 11-year-old in the UK. So I was actually stuck in a place that even if I wanted to, which I wouldn't, 
We couldn't go. So we can't go. We've had to cancel that whole trip. We can't go. She can't have that trip because of these fucking rules. And yeah. Just side issue. Yeah. Poor girl. Yeah, that's a shame. Um, so and a shame for New York. It's a, sh- it's, a, it's a shame for everybody. For yeah. Billie Eilish. I mean, for everybody. Everybody loses um, yeah. on that on that situation. D- just going back because you said uh, I was asking you why why we should care, and it seems to be two reasons. One, to be prepared. But actually, the bigger point is that if you care and you think this is wrong, it's to try and fight against it. It's tr- to try and fight against it. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think we 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 can there's several things that we can do uh, one of which is we could try to slow down the tide and i think we've seen that so there's a lot of backlash that have happened and so we're starting to see mandates being dropped all over the world yeah uh, the truck trucker convoy in canada has been pretty cool to watch i mean that's affecting some real a real change uh, there nhs vaccine mandates in the uk is that being dropped it looks like it's being dropped yeah well i saw boris johnson a couple weeks ago said that they were dropping everything right well, so we've pretty much, like, COVID's kind of over in, in the UK. Yes, people are getting COVID. COVID. Yes, people are going to hospital. Uh, they had to um, start sending people to one of these uh, Nightingale hospitals, these kind of surge flow hospitals. It still exists. People are getting sick. It is There, there is a strain on the NHS. Who would have ever guessed people still get sick? What but, kind of world is this? But they're getting <laughs> sick at a level where they have to use a surge hospital. So that, that exists. And, but, but we're at the stage where... We've, we're opening up. Society's opening back yeah. up. The, the 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 mandates are ending. Like society's edging back to normal. What a lot of people don't realize is that uh, hospitals are businesses. They're typically run by private. Or I don't know in the UK, but in the US, they're run by private entities, and they're typically trying to make a profit. And then when you run a business trying to make a profit, you're trying to maximize that business. So if I run a restaurant, I'm trying to keep that restaurant full. Right, sure. I can't run it at ten percent. I run, run, run it full. Hospitals also are run full. So typically, um, ICUs run at over ninety percent occupancy all the time. During the winter, during flu seasons, typically you'll have overflow into parking lots. That's normal. Danny, look it up. Uh, two thousand eighteen, two thousand nineteen. I've seen it. I've seen it. So it's just normal. So ICUs are typically full in the winter, flu, and we typically set up in the parking lots it's just that now this is in the news and everybody's hearing about it for the first time there is there are there are some like again some differences on that like one of my very good friends is a doctor when covid first hit london he said he'd seen nothing like this the number of people coming in they weren't just coming in they were they were coming in and they needed to be on oxygen and he said the icu filled up very quickly and they were very quickly having to send people to other places now again it's it's, it's a whole conversation we well, don't need to jump into. When I say it's a bit, when you say it's a business, slightly different in the UK because it's not really a business because the NHS is um, is a, it's a state-run system. Yeah. Um, but even so, there's a slight difference. Say if you're a restaurant, you can just raise your prices, or if you're a certain kind of place, you can increase. If you've got a product, you can you can increase your supply. Yeah. With a hospital, it's, it's quite difficult to just suddenly get new doctors and nurses who are trained. And we know doctors and nurses are overrun and we know people are leaving the profession because it's been a tough two years. I think we should just, we should acknowledge those slight differences that a hospital has from maybe a restaurant. Okay. Wow. I, I mean, I think, I think we could, we could do a whole episode on this we show, can, but, but neither of us are experts. So, uh, right, we're not. so we're probably better to, better to, you have a friend that's a, a doctor, my doc, my sister's a doctor, but we ain't either. So, uh, and even one doesn't, doesn't tell a whole story. No, it doesn't. Okay. So listen, another thing is, this is, this is, this is I don't want to say funny because I don't want to make light of important issues, but a lot of shit has happened since we spoke. Yeah. A lot. And, and I've listed them and I okay. want to just, I'm just going to put them at you and you can just frame them in the context of this, but 
we have a massive buildup of troops on the Russian-Ukrainian border. Yeah. Nobody wants to see war. It would be devastating for the region. I think what happened in Crimea is a disgrace. We have the EU, uh, the UK, and even the US sending troops there where it looks like, well, nobody really knows what's going to happen. Where does that, the context of that fit into all of this? I have a guess of what happens. Yeah, they, but uh, Putin negotiates something and there's no war. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think that that fits within this. So um, it's in my notes to get to a little bit further. Um, if we kind of frame this up, we can talk about it. But I think it's a political theater. I think they're talking about things on the uh, maybe twenty thousand foot elevation when the game's really played on a fifty thousand foot elevation, and so. Um, the 50,000 foot players, uh, the top the, the of the GPPP will allow this to kind of happen, but it all kind of gets squashed. I think some of it even is theater in a sense where it creates nationalism. Mm -hmm. They want nationalism, right? They want us against you. Yep. And so they want to get us riled up. And so we're, yeah, 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 go to war, spend the money. Yeah, 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 right? And it kind of gets that loyalty going again. And I think we talked about that in our last episode, that nationalism is one way that that works. Um, and I think, so I think it's political theater. I think... Uh, I think there's a lot of backlash from the, so we're, we're at peak centralization and we're seeing that blow off. So actually what I wanted to talk about was um, a blow off top. So in the world of finance, you know, the term like a blow off top, mm -hmm. so like Bitcoin in 2017. Yeah, we did get it this year. We expected to. Uh, well, we had a 50% drop. Um, one was at a 70% drop. Come on, we can take a 50% drop. Yeah. It's the 80% drops we don't want. So a blow off top is in a financial market and typically it's a steep increase, right? Um, at the top, there's a lot of volatility and a lot of volume happening. Um, and then there's an ultimate crash. All right. Now, the couple key pieces to this. So one, it's a steep increase. And as the market starts going up, it starts sucking in more and more participants, right? And they start buying. And then it's like this self-fulfilling prophecy. At the top, it's always the most frothy. So in the 2017 run, there was uh, every month, there was about a 30% pullback. Boom, 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 boom. And then crash. And the reason why I say that is because that's how I'm looking at the world right now in this blow off top. And I believe we're having this blow off top of centralization or socialism, if we want to call it that, in a sense where we've had this rise of centralization or socialism has gone so fast. We're in this parabolic growth right now. At the top, it's extremely volatile. And then it blows off. So where would you put the Canadian tractors in Ottawa into that? Is that a blow off top? Well, it's the volatility. Okay. It's the volatility. We haven't got to the blow off top yet. That's coming. In my guess, that's in the next three to five years. Uh, but it's the volatility that we're seeing right now. So the truckers in Canada are a sign of that. I think the you, you know the the Ukraine Russia uh, Crimea thing is is a part of that. I think uh, the Rogan Spot Rogan Spotify Rogan Spotify is part of that. And Danny. Um, I think all that. I, we had the the DC marches happening the other day. Um, that uh, for a couple of days were happening. I think that's all part. All that is part of it. Um, the, the Belgian police officer punching that 15 year old girl in the face. I mean, these are all part of the things that are happening. But this, this is the volatility. It's all the volatility. Yeah, that makes having. sense. Yeah. So what does the blow off top look like? So the blow off top is, um, like I said, it's a steep increase. So we're seeing a massive rise of socialism or centralization or globalization happening. And then it's the most volatile. And so I think, um, like I said, those are all ideas. Those are all kind of signs of that happening. What does it look like when it blows off? Yeah. Well, I think on the other side, um, 
we go towards a more, much more decentralized um, way. So for example, um, if we looked at, since last we talked, those are some of the things, but really if we look over the last two years, what we've seen is this centralization of power that's just been continuing to escalate. Um, and not just in a normal way, but in a way where we've seen, you know, technology like social media um, has obviously grown. We talked about, um, you know, we talked about the censorship issue. Um, our own content isn't even our own anymore, right? They can just shut our content down. We have to censor ourselves what we say. Um, we have politics. Now, the politics has been interesting because they've created all these emergency powers and they've suspended the Bill of Rights. They've spent suspended constitutions everywhere in every country. I mean, and they flat out said, hey, you know, the constitution's off. Like, you don't, you don't get it, right? Um, the financial markets, obviously. Um, I was talking earlier about this uh, new Freedom Information Act that we saw. The Fed created um, $30 trillion. Yeah, so you're going to have to explain this to the audience because this isn't a small thing. So um, can you look this? Is it out there? I, I have the link right here. I yeah. can send it to you. Danny, can you get it out there? Uh, I mean, that, that's a link to the full report. So the Levy Institute is the one that got the Freedom of Information Act. Who's the Levy Institute? Um, is this a nonprofit? Nonprofit, nonpartisan public policy think tank founded through the generous support of Bard College trustee Leon Levy. The extraordinary scope and magnitude of the financial crisis of 2007-9 induced an extraordinary response by the Federal Reserve in the fulfillment of its lender of last resort function. Estimates of the total amount of bailout funding provided by the Fed have ranged from its own lowball claim of $1.2 trillion to Bloomberg's estimate of $7.7 trillion just for the biggest banks. Um, but new research conducted as part of a Ford Foundation project directed by blah, 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 finds the Fed's commitments in the forms of loans and asset purchases to prop up the global financial system far exceeded even the highest estimates. See, what I want to know is where the fuck is that 29 trillion? Who got it? Wh yeah. Why it was done? Where it exists? Yeah, and that was two years ago. And yeah. like, where in, the, where in the balance sheet is that? Like, where is that? If, if it's well, loans? The, the Fed won't be audited. So Rand Paul has been tr pushing for an audit of the Fed. Ron Paul started it. Rand Paul has been going and they won't be audited. We, we won't ever know. Before we carry on with the interview, I do have a quick message from my show sponsors. And this show is brought to you by Casa, the safest way to store your Bitcoin. Now, forgotten passwords, SIM swaps, phishing attacks. There are just too many ways to have your Bitcoin lost or stolen. But with Casa, you never have to worry about your Bitcoin again. Because with a Casa multi-sig wallet, you get to take custody of your Bitcoin, but you only move Bitcoin by signing transactions from multiple wallets, ones which you get to distribute into different locations. And this is going to protect you from a range of mistakes, errors, and vulnerabilities. Now, if you want to find out more about this, I have been a customer for over a year. You can hit me up in my DMs or drop me an email. Happy to answer your questions. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S, .casa. Next up, we have my new sponsor to the show, which is BCB Group, who provide online business banking for companies in the Bitcoin industry. And yes, I am now a customer of BCB too. They heard about my difficulty with finding a bank, a reliable one that understands Bitcoin, and they reached out to me. So I've moved 
all my business banking across to BCB. And you know what? I could not be happier. It is so nice to finally be dealing with a bank which understands my business and understands Bitcoin and isn't putting hurdles in my way. BCB's clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds and miners active in the UK and Europe, but they are now expanding globally. And they also have this amazing fiat network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients for all supported currencies. Now listen, I know some of you have had some trouble with this. If you are looking for a banking provider who understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you want to become a BCB customer. If you want to find out, then please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. Next up, we've got Ledger the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, a hardware wallet allows you as a Bitcoiner to take custody of your Bitcoin. And I have been a Ledger customer since early 2017. It's over four years now, and I'm still using that same Nano S I bought back then. Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Live software, which interfaces with your device. And you can even connect your Nano S to your Android phone to manage your Bitcoin on the go. If you want to find out more, please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Next up is BlockFi. Now you can get up to $250 in Bitcoin when you join BlockFi. They've launched their BlockFi Rewards Visa Signature Card. And for people in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, then the BlockFi Rewards Credit Card provides the easiest way for you to earn more Bitcoin because you get 1.5% back in Bitcoin on every purchase with no annual fee. It is the smartest way to stack sats with Bitcoin rewards and every purchase. But if you're interested in finding out more and you do want to take out that bonus, you want to get that $250 in Bitcoin, then please head over to BlockFi.com forward slash Peter, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I dot com forward slash Peter. But that's not really a big piece of this. I think if we look at the last two years, right, it was the centralization of power. So well, was- just, so, just to say, the interesting thing about this, it will just blow over. People will forget about it. People have become immune to these fucking government debts. I was well, talking to Natalie Brunel about the debt ceiling. They need to get rid of the word ceiling. It's well, just- you think that's – so here's another thing. So um, in you probably know about the repo market blowing up yep. in September of 2019. Yep. So the banks loan money to each other overnight, repurchase. It's like a pawn shop. I'll give you treasuries. You give me money. We'll buy it back. And that happens on an overnight basis. Well, that seized up in September of 2019, and the Fed had to enter – interact and they had to put 50 billion in overnight to keep it from seizing. Well, the next day was 50 billion, 50 billion, 75, 100, 150, etc. It got up to a trillion dollars a day. From September 2019 to July of 2020, they put in 11 trillion dollars. And it and the the Fed is supposed to be the lender of last resort to backstop the banks. That's commercial banks. That's where I have my money, Wells Fargo, JP Morgan, etc. That's not where the 11 trillion went. It went to investment banks. Investment banks aren't supposed to get back backstopped. Investment banks are making risky investments, and they should be allowed to fail. The Fed gave them $11 trillion. Why? And where, where was that? Who ever heard about that? That was just in six months. It's so broken. $11 trillion in six months. Mark, it's so fucking broken. It's, <laughs> it's like, a, how do you come back from this? You don't. It's a drug addiction, right? You, you don't come back. And, and the problem is, is now they're losing the narrative. And this is the big piece here. This is, a, this is where we're starting to see this, the, the blow off top, yeah, yeah. is they're losing the narrative. And the reason why they're losing the narrative is the same reason why the church lost the narrative in the 1500s. 
the information is out there. Mm -hmm. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. And the more that you try, the worse it gets. Well, it was a bit like the the truckers in uh, uh, up in Ottawa. Um, this particularly pissed me off. The they said they were protesting against icy roads. They, uh, no, no, not that. Fuck that. I mean, That's what they said. Trudeau obviously went into hiding. Where is it? I've got it here. This Trudeau fuck. said that they represented the fringe. Right, here we go. <clears throat> Today in the House, members of parliament unanimously condemned the anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, anti-black racism, homophobia, and transphobia that we've seen on display in Ottawa over the past number of days. Together, let's keep work to make Canada more inclusive. Now, I'm not actually sure if there were any specific incidents of any of those claims. But to use that as a broad claim against the entire movement to essentially discredit the truckers, for me, is clear and absolute bullshit. It is. And everybody knows it. And that's the point, that they're losing the narrative. They're losing the narrative and they're getting desperate. So what he said was this was a fringe group. This did not represent Canadians. This was a very small fringe group. And how do we know that? How do we know what percentage of, of the population it represents? Did they run a poll? Is there a survey? Did they run a vote? No. But they did have a vote. The way that we vote is not through politics. The way that we vote is with our money. Mm-hmm. So they raised over 10. Was it 10? 10 now. $10 million. Can, well, how much of that can they actually get? How much well, of that was the GoFundMe? Go, GoFundMe has it frozen now. Fuck and now you, the go. state of Ottawa is now trying to seize the money. Can we just say, go fuck you, GoFundMe? Fuck yeah, you. Yeah. And, but check this out. So how do we vote? We vote with our money. So they got $10 million there for yep. the truckers. How much has Trudeau raised in the first quarter of his, uh, the, I'm sorry, the last quarter of his campaign? $3 million. They've outraised every single political party combined in Canada. So the people have voted. They voted with their dollars. It's not a fringe. It represents more than all the other political parties combined. That's what it tells us. They've lost the narrative. And to your point, the more they try to discredit, the worse they look. The, it's, it, they're essentially trying to discredit or they're, they're attacking a class, right. a, a group of people that... The, the truckers, I can't remember, I was chatting about this yesterday, but yeah, the, the, our world functions because we have truckers and we have electricians. electricians. We blue, have people. Blue-collar blue people. We have blue-collar people and they've been completely ignored. Completely ignored. And, you know, when there is a financial crisis, we, knew, we know during the, a financial crisis, the wealth, the wealth divide grows and it tends to fuck the the people at the bottom of society or the lower ends well, of society. The rich no, never get fucked not, by the poor not, people. Not the bottom end. The bottom end are taken care of. No, in, not in, always. in Hollywood, you can do drugs on the street and walk around and poop on the sidewalk. Well, that's the bottom, bottom end. But right. I mean, we're talking about working a middle class. If you're an Uber driver and you park in the wrong spot for five minutes, you're going to get a $200 fine. Right? So um, whatever you want to define the middle class is, well, the, the, wor the working class. It's the working and middle class. I think yeah. the, the, the middle class have got squeezed and the working class get fucked. Yeah. Yeah, the working class. Um, and, and part of the reason why is that the, the very poor, the drug addicts on the street in Hollywood, they live off the state and they're not a victim of the state. Mm -hmm. And then the very rich, they also have benefited off of the state. It's the working class that have to run a business and take care of their family and pay their bills. They get it. They're conservative by nature. 
because they understand how the real world works. It's the people on the fringes on the outside that don't. Well, and it's proved now, the truckers have proved that there, this group of people can bring a country to its knees if it wants to. Yeah. You, you don't have the ability to move goods around the country. What the fuck do you think is going to happen? Yeah. So I think, I think that's one of the symptoms or one of the signs. But really what we're seeing is that um, they've lost the narrative. So Joe Rogan getting 200 million views when CNN gets about a million. Um, they can't control this any longer. And so they, and they, they can't ban it, ban it. Exactly. Ban it. Exactly. The point. And so they're saying that he's spreading misinformation. Why doesn't anybody go debate one of these doctors? Well, maybe they if, will. And look, look, and, and if, 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 uh, and I don't want, I don't want to pull that, that piece back out. Cause I know there's some discrepancies no, 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 there. No, no, no. All I would say is there, there are counter arguments. You can go on YouTube, Peter McCullough, uh, Robert Malone. There are people who've made videos to counter their points. But the reality of Joe Rogan is he's trying to find the truth. He's got no agenda. He's yeah. not paid by anyone. He's not, you, you can't put him on a political wing. You know, he's had people from the right on. He said he's a Democrat. He, you know, he's given ideas where he votes. But he is the one person out there you know. He's only trying to find the truth. And the truth will win in open debate. Yes. The truth doesn't need censorship to protect no. it. The truth wins in open debate. And the problem is, is that the more you censor the truth, the worse it gets. And so the world, um, when we originally started talking, we started talking about um, central versus decentral or anarchy. And I said, yeah. we don't really want to live in true anarchy because we can't trust anybody. Yeah. We can't live in a world like that where I don't know if my food's going to get poisoned or if my kids are going to be like, we need trust, right? Trust is a very important thing. And it's also very fragile. So if you had a business partner that you were concerned with stealing from you, for example, and you said, hey, um, can we look at the books and can we look at these charges? And he said, oh, no, you, you can't look at the books. Ne never mind that, right? Like all of a sudden you'd be very suspicious. Of course. But if they said, oh, yeah, no problem. Let's take a look. And here we go, right? And so um, transparency is what wins, tr wins trust, not censorship. And so the more that they try to control the narrative, which they've already lost, but the more they try to control, the worse it gets for them. And so at this point, it's, there's, just, there's no – the only way they're going to regain trust at this point – is to come 100% clean, a few heads are probably going to need to roll, and they can promise to do better, and then maybe. But that, short of that, which is never going to happen, then there's just no way to regain the narrative. Do you think there's also uh, an opposite risk uh, in that information which comes from these central places could be true, but because so much trust has been lost, fringe ideas which or conspiracy ideas, which counter it, sure. which are false, 100%. now get a platform and get a voice because people have lost so much trust. That that is a thing I, I think is also happening. Well, it does happen. So what happens is once people start believing in conspiracy theories, now everything's a conspiracy. Mm -hmm. And that, that happens a lot. It's very, it's very, very common. And and there's no different than your business partner or your whatever, right? If you, if you, if you think your business partner is stealing from you, then you all of a sudden are always thinking that, right? So it's the same thing. And, and to your point, yeah, once people believe conspiracies, everything's conspiracy. And the way that you beat that is by being transparent and showing truth. And they can't do that. And so um, this kind of frames up, I think, the last two years. Okay. Now, why? Why has that been the case? And I think it's because, why have we been through this in the last two years? And I think it's because the state had to. They realized, just like, again, in the 1500s, that the printing press was going to unseat them. They realized that the internet had opened this information up. They realized they were losing control. They realized they were losing the, the grip. They lose it, realized they were losing the narrative, and it was their last grasp. They had to do something. They had to do something to display their power and their control. 
And I'm not saying that this was uh, purposely unleashed on anything, but um, as Klaus Schwab in his own words, we must take this opportunity to kind of have this great reset. And so um, the New York Times ran an article saying they called it going medieval and they recommended we go medieval. That's what they said in the article. And it was lock everybody down, um, suspend everybody's rights and freedoms. And it was like this last uh, grab to do that. Like I said, just like the church tried. I fell for that. Yeah. I have a very embarrassing tweet that went out where I agreed with draconian lockdowns yeah. because I was put into that position of fear. And, and everybody was. In, in the beginning, we didn't know. I mean, they showed us videos in China. And I, I put a tweet out of this and I said, uh, a, few, a few videos from the CCP, which who trusts the CCP, uh-huh. a few videos of people falling over and the whole world was into a tailspin. And now we have hundreds of people dropping over in real TV and nobody seems to care. Do you, do you know what I think on this issue as well? I, um, I did shows building up to COVID with Caitlin Long and Travis Kling where we're talking about the economy. And both of them are saying, look, at some point it's going to blow up. They're running out of bullets. They're running out of options. From the financial side. From the financial sure. side. And COVID was essentially the pin that broke the bubble. I, there's zero part of me that believes there's like a global conspiracy to release COVID to like this final kind of like chance to create control over people. But what I, I, I don't, I don't think that yeah, either. I think it happened, and I think people made decisions, and they made bad decisions, and the decisions, the decisions they made, are a symptom of how the system is broken. Rather than, well, and and you'll have opportunists in there, and you have control freaks, but yeah. I think they're a symptom of the problem. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that either. I haven't seen any evidence to make me think that. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that because it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Okay. Fair. I do believe there was gain-of-function studies done. Um, yep. I do believe that uh, President Xi did go on the news before we heard about the leak and said that there was a, they were changing protocols at their Wuhan facility. That did happen. We did see that there was a, a doctor that was brought up on charges for selling animals in the wet market. We did see that. But I don't have any proof, to, or I haven't seen anything that shows that it was done intentionally, and I don't think that to be the case. Was it uh, Emmanuel who said, never let a crisis, good, good crisis go to waste kind of waste, thing, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, but back to your point that you just made, we're at the end of this long-term credit cycle, an 80-year financial revolution, as I'm talking about. Um, but oh, that, but could, it wasn't, let me put something out of that, just, just uh, as a hypothesis. There are people that believe it was planned and put out there. Um, but could it just been planned and put out there by one nation? One nation that would look at the vulnerabilities of the world, the one nation that has continued to grow, that has invested through its Belt of Road initiative, and realize the rest of the world can't handle it the way they can. Sure. If, well, it, if, if there isn't, sorry, bear with me. If there's an outbreak, they know they have full control. They they know they can lock their people down. They know they can probably, you know, th- there's some strength in authoritarianism when trying to deal with a pandemic, and they've dealt with it. But knowing the rest of the world is such a, such a shit show that every other nation would 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 fail, and that would put them in a stronger position. Yeah. It's still a conspiracy. It's still a hypothesis, but. Well, a conspiracy only means two or more people conspiring, making plans mm. against somebody else. Happens all the time. Always, people always conspiring, right? But anyway, um, that is not a hypothesis. That's actually fact, right? So China knew about this for months before they did anything to lock people down or warn other nations about this. So whether it was intentional or yeah, not. I think that's the thing. Is it intentional? I don't know if it's intentional, but yeah. they did intentionally let it spread. They did do that. We know that. 
Yeah, they they had it going on for months before they decided to send out alerts and stop travel. But could that, that be that they didn't realize how bad it was? I don't think so. Yeah, but I, I don't. Know. Who knows? Who knows? It's, it's neither okay. here nor there. I think. But all right. So um, we recapped the long yep, yep. history. We recapped the last two years and and what the symptoms are and how everything's starting to break down. Why did they have to happen? Well, because they were trying to get their last grasp because they knew they were losing their grip, just like the church was in the 1500s. Um, so then what's really going on? Who is that that's trying to make this last grasp? Um, not that it's this big conspiracy, but I think what I've seen is it's a, the world has been taken over by bankers. It's a coup, coup d'etat of the bankers. Banker coup. A banker coup. Okay. Um, have you heard about the global public-private partnership? <coughs> nope. Tell me about it. So um, Danny can Google it and throw it up there. The global public private partnership, and you'll see like an org chart and you can put it up on the screen so Peter can see it. Um, but basically it's- You're looking at MTA. It's exactly what it's, it's exactly what it sounds like is a public private partnership. And so what they've done is they've, they being all these rich multinational companies and whatnot have decided to make a partnership to get things done. And it starts at the top with the BIS, the Bank of International Settlements. Is that the one with that fat dude? Was it's the one with the fat dude, yeah. Okay. And so who, who is the BIS? I mean, you don't even really know about them. Well, they're the central bank of central banks. They were started um, after World War I, and they were trying to kind of oversee Germany, paying back reparations and things like that. So this is like the original banking institution who's now basically the central bank of all the central banks. Okay. And so you have the, the BIS at the top. And then below that, you have, I don't know if Danny gets it up there, but you can see. Okay. Okay. So you have, um, you have the BIS up at the top, the central bank above central banks. And then below that, you have um, basically the think tanks, the policymakers. The World Economic Forum, fuck. And then below that, you have the policy enforcers which are the governments. And so what these public privacy uh, partners have decided is they are pushing something called stakeholder capitalism, which I'm sure you heard, that's Klaus Schwab's word that he likes to use. And through a public and private partnership, they can push these policies into place. So for example, when COVID happened, how did the entire world lock down at the same time? Well, we know now the IMF went around and paid these, these countries to do that. We have many reports from many nations who were offered, Belarus was offered as much as 900 million to lock their country down. Um, and so it was like, hey. We know that's true. Well, we know multiple countries have said this. And so I guess they could all be lying. Sure. Well, but where have we seen this? Like where, like. Oh, many, the many, many of the leaders came out and said this outright throughout the time. Danny, you can look that up. Belarus, 900 million lockdown. Yeah. Um, but uh, the, the point is, is that- Well, uh, hold on. So the wording here is different. Belarus gets 1 billion from the IMF. I said 900 yeah, million, yeah. so 1 to, billion. To fight coronaviruses. Is that a rewording? Well, what'd they get the money for? To fight coronavirus. How are they going to do that? Follow yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm, following, I'm following the trail. I love it when you fact check me in real time. Yeah. I, and I'm right. I feel like there's other podcasts who do it. No, no, I trust you. I just want to see no, it. No, I know. I love it. Okay. 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 And the reason being? Well, no, the point is, is that they use- What are they trying to do? Who's in charge here? And what are they trying to do? Well, the, the, 
you have the org chart yeah, on the screen. The, yeah, right? we got the org chart. So who's in charge? It's it's not one person. It's not some master plan. It's not that Rothschilds have been doing this for 500 years. It's a public-private partnership. It's a bunch of people working in concert to, together to push these initiatives. Why are they trying to push these initiatives? Money, power, control. Okay. Same as it's always been. And so, and so they use the money from the um, BIS and push it down through the think tanks. And then the, the local nations are the policy enforcers of this. And so, for example, in this example, the UN, I'm sorry, the IMF gives the money to Belarus and then Belarus locks the people down. See, it's funny because we talked about earlier how one guy with an iron fist, like with a fist gets to decide for 330 million people. You've got groups here essentially trying to make decisions for billions of people. Exactly. And so what are their incentives? What are they trying to do? It's always pow you know, power, control, money. That's human nature, greed, power. Huh. But it says here that the IMF gave them a billion, uh, what was it? A billion dollars to fight coronavirus. Are they giving them that to try and combat it? And Belarus just is a dictatorship, so it's going to be yeah. Misspent. But but but, it, but money doesn't come for free. Money comes with strings. So hey, we're gonna your, your country is going to be devastated. You're going to lose all this money, blah blah blah. But we're going to give you money to fight it. But you have to do what we say. So here's the steps you have to do to fight it. Mm -hmm. If we're going to give you money, then I need you to do this. I need you to do this. Do this. Da, 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 right? Does it say what they used it for? Not here. Okay. I mean, that's just one example. Uh, do you know what? The Belarus is an interesting one because I remember quite early on when countries were locking down, I think it was Belarus alongside Sweden were one of the ones that didn't. They didn't. And there were photographs of football matches in yeah. Belarus where the stadiums were full. Yeah. They were not going for it. And they kept, first they, first it was like 200 million and it was like four, three or 400 million. And, it was like, and they kept upping it, upping it, upping it until they finally were like, okay, how about a billion? And, uh, but, but many countries, and then, I don't want to die. I don't want to get caught up in this one detail because I'm trying but to. Look this is a big fucking detail. Well, okay. Well, there's many more stories like this, and many nations' leaders ended up dead, including the the president of Haiti, including the president who was assassinated just, by a mob. Yeah, I mean, whatever. He just randomly <laughs> died. Sure. Um, I mean, too many coincidences. After well, a while. But tell me what you think happened in Haiti. Well, there was him and there was a president in one of the nations in Africa and they were, we're not doing this. We're not taking the vaccinations. We're not taking the money from you. We're not going along with this narrative. And then they just randomly end up dying. You know, they get very depressed and get in boning accidents and whatever happens. And I, I, I'm not, I, I don't want to get hung up in that one detail of this because it's a bigger picture that we're trying to paint here. But um, no, but this, this org chart that you're showing me is, is, don't even know what word to use. Concerning, <laughs> like freaky, weird, creepy. What the fuck? Yeah. And so basically huh. what they've done is through a global public and private partnership, they've usurped the power of the nation state. Mm -hmm. And if we want to get into this, which is a little bit of a rabbit hole, but when Donald Trump went to Davos in 2017 and he went and had a speech and he said, Danny can pull up the speech. He said, uh, the United States will never lay down its sovereignty. We will work with other nations, but we will not lay down our sovereignty. That's when he got the target on his back. That's when Fauci said there would be a pandemic that would happen in the United States. Fauci said it would happen in 2017. That's when George Soros came out and they made Donald Trump enemy number one because he wouldn't lay down the U.S. sovereignty for the GPP. Um, he pulled the United, the United States out of the Paris Accord, 
all these things that happened. Um, and so wasn't part of this uh, GPPB. Um, hold on, let's go back a step. Bank of International Settlements, what are they? They are a... They're, they're effectively, if you look it up, they're the central bank of central who, banks. But, but who owns them? Are they a... Are they a, a non-profit global institution? Like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Um, it's uh, research I've been doing to do some content on it specifically, and I, I, I'll just admit I'm not an expert on yeah. them. Other than they're the central bank of central banks. So as I told you, they were founded, uh, you know, um, after World War One. And But I, why I, did the central banks need a central bank of central banks? Who makes that decision? Like, the UN, I understand. After the World War Two, the UN was established. And the U.S. established was ho hopefully the U.N. was established to try and ensure peace across the world. Yeah, I think I'm about right in that. And and you understand why that's established. Who established the Bank of Inter International the, the Settlements? Bank, the, bank, the bankers did. And do you know the history of the central bank? Well, are we do you know do you know the history of the Bank of England? I don't you're, you're know. You're from England. I, no, no, I don't. I know a little bit more well, about I mean, the history. I, I'm of, happy to tell you well, the, the I, short version. I know a little bit about the history of the central banks in the U.S. because I did a really great show with Eric Yates yesterday. But, but it started in England, so you got to know the story of the central bank tell in me. England, the BOE, because that's where it started. Yeah, tell and me. All the banks are from the BOE. What, was it was it Henry VIII? He did a lot of. Things. So um, in the late 1600s, um, England was at war with France uh -huh. to and, finance the war, and they didn't have any money. They didn't yeah. have enough money to go to war. And they needed money. Now, back then, um, kings would get money from the rich people, mm -hmm. and they'd finance the war effort. And so I believe it was some bankers from Ireland, I believe, came and said, uh, I don't know, forgive me if I'm wrong on the, on the Ireland part, but basically said, hey, look, here's the deal. We're going to loan you as much money as you want to go to war, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to create a new bank, and we're going to come up with our own money. And what you're going to do is you're going to say that what our, our bank is legit, and our money is to be used by everybody. And as long as you do that, then we're going to give you as much money as you want. Huh. And they did. And that's how the Bank of England got started. And so the Bank of England then became, you know, the, the official Bank of England, their currency. They funded the war effort. And the Bank of England, so it was like 1648, I believe, somewhere right there in the mid-1600s. Who was the king? In the 1600s. Charles I, it looks like. Okay. I want to blame Henry VIII for, VIII for everything. So the war, the, it's all about the money, and the money is the carrot on the stick. And so for centuries, for centuries, for fucking centuries, for, cen for centuries. Ah, oh, these motherfuckers. Okay, because we're on this debt-based system, and so um, we've been on this mad scramble to let's just call it get us into a social credit score system through all these means, right? And um, the IMF with their SDRs, which SDRs were created in 1944. You know, the IMF was created under the Bretton Woods Agreement and the SDRs, the special drawing rights, and they haven't really been used. And all of a sudden now they're being used like crazy, right? And they've printed up about 600 uh, billion of those in the last, you know, 24 months. Um, and now we have all these multinational companies pushing these ESG narratives, which are they're controlling the energy output of these and governance of these corporations. And like I said, the stakeholder capitalism, which is kind of a socialism term where um, the now the corporation must take into consideration the public good, including the employees. And I mean, it's, it's, it's Marxism, at, you know, at its best. Um, and so this is what's going on. I think, uh, like I said, they realized the the cracks were forming. They were losing the narrative. Um, along came COVID. I'm not trying to say it was done on purpose, but they didn't let a crisis go to waste. And they had to start squeezing. 
and they're trying to hold on as best they can. And the reason why it's important to understand this GPPP is because how does all the media, how, you've seen the, TV, the, the news clips of all the news outlets having the same headline at the same time. Yeah, that's so weird. Have you ever seen that? No. It's so weird. So basically there's like a YouTube video and what happens is they play this headline and then it goes across these networks and everyone is literally repeating the exact same headline. But, but there might be other reasons for that. So like Reuters will right. be like well, a news link well, and they'll sure, break news and then so people they all, make news from those They all get their news links. from Reuters. Yeah. But who owns Reuters? I don't know. Right. So you keep chasing it up and it's all part of this, right? And so one person up here is pushing out the news to all the people. To your point, there is a point. There is a reason for it. But that's the whole point. Mm. All those independent news stations are actually getting their headlines that they're reading from one central source that's in that org chart right there. Reuters are in that chart. I used to trust Reuters. I got fucking hammered on Twitter for this. I was like, well, there's only two sources I really trust. It's Reuters and AP News. And people were like, you trust Reuters? There's a Pfizer CEO on the board, you fucking Pfizer shill cut. I was like, oh, now I can't trust Reuters. Yeah. So they're trying to push everybody into this system. Uh-huh. And a lot of people are like, well, you know, let's say, for example, um, in the last 24 months, the supposedly the number is uh, globally we've added $20 trillion. Sorry to interrupt. Put yeah. you one second. Where does this chart come from? I mean, just Google it. You'll no, find no, no, no. Who, who, who created it? Uh, something. Because, because some, I, something tank. I, uh, I was reading, I was looking at this chart thinking this is like some agreed structure. But then you've got a section that says policy propagandists. So the term policy propagandist makes me think this is an accusation, not a known structure, not like an agreed known structure. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, they, don't, they don't come out and announce this. This isn't a new form of government. So this is a, a research project that was done by, by a group. But, but, but who is the group and what is their theory? Yeah, Can yeah. they be fringe? Could they be wrong? Like, Sure. Yeah. I, I think this needs talk to uh, talk to Whitney Webb. That's who you need to have on your show. Yeah, but like I've heard Whitney Webb, and I think she's done some good work. But also, I'm, sometimes I think people go down a conspiratorial rabbit hole, and and there's an audience for that because of the loss of trust. I talked about this to you earlier. There's that loss of trust. Therefore, that's the pendulum swinging the other side. They don't trust anything, so they hear this and they're like oh, I can connect this dot and connect this dot because then, then this must be what's happening. So what I would say about that is, one, when you use that word conspiratorial, that word, I think, came into use after JFK got shot, and it's a way to kind of discredit things right off the bat. And as I said, conspiratorial, the, the definition of conspiracy is two or more people. I know, I know. Right? So uh, it happens all the time. But I don't want to take, and, I don't want to take claim as fact. Right. But, it, but I don't think it matters. Well, it kind of does. Because if, if that chart's real... It's to me, this is like I don't know, man. If 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 that if that chart isn't one hundred percent accurate, it doesn't change anything. We're still in peak centralization. We're still at that, a point where the World Economic Forum is driving policy, and the IMF is giving money to Belarus, and everything else is still the same. But but is it two or two is four or two or two is five? Like are, are people taking bits of information and making a leap? Because if we're wrong, then we're equally guilty of disseminating misinformation uh i think maybe if we tried to say that this is fact and you should act on this what we're trying to say is that um 
there's peak centralization going on by the central bankers Agreed. that are giving these countries money to run these policies, um, $30 trillion, et cetera. Yep. That is true. Whether this org chart is 100% accurate or not really is inconsequential in the story of the peak centralization. That I agree with. Yeah. That I agree with. But and we're not showing this to anybody. I mean, you guys can put it in the, in the YouTube video. I don't know if that's 100% um, factual, but it doesn't really, like I said, for the point that I'm making, it doesn't really matter. I do believe that we're in a coup of central bankers, which we are. That I can believe. Yeah. Mm. And back to the, huh. Yeah. I, I, uh, this is a story that I've been picking up on. I've been doing a lot of research into, but I haven't been able to put the story together yet. So that's why I don't want to yeah, lean, yeah. lean super high into it. But I thought it was a useful um, chart just to kind of get an idea of what's going on. Um, Danny, oh. Danny can look real quick and just look what, what, what is the BIS say? What is the BIS? It's going to say a central bank of central banks. Like yeah. You, you can find that quickly. Um, so we know they're above all the bankers. So we do know that. Um, do we know that uh, all the world governments acted on the WHO's information? So then we would believe that part of the org chart, right? Uh -huh. I mean, you can put that together. No, pretty, no, no. Put, no put I, that see, I, I, I see it, but like, I almost want to go into. I, I want to go into more detail. I want to know who put, put that chart together. I want to talk to them and say, talk me through what you found, what is fact, what is, you know, what is suggestion. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fine. Well, look, I can okay. do further research on that. Yeah. Uh, definitely pick my interest. That chart's a little bit fucked if it's true. Uh, so what do we do? Mark? So we need some mosses. So, so we're at this point where, like I said, we're at this blow off top, right? We're accelerating yep. to the point. And I think what's happened is everybody has basically just decided to give everything to the nanny state. So we don't want to deal with education. You just take care of education. We don't want to deal with healthcare. You just take care of healthcare. We don't want to deal with uh, taking care of, uh, you know, the, the, Un, um, the lower ends of society, you just take care of that. And we've just given them more and more and more. So socialism, meaning the state is taking over the means of production, right? So they've been taking more and more and more and more. In the United States, they took over healthcare. It was one third, one third of the economy. Like it's massive. Um, and so we're, it's getting more and more and more. It's just sucking in more like a, like a, like a blow off top. And now we have this volatility happening here. Healthcare is one third of the U.S. economy. Yeah. Well, it was, it was at the time of Obamacare. It's probably more by now. What? Well, but but it shouldn't be, and that's a that's an endemic problem with U.S. healthcare. Well, if you look at a like on WTF happened in nineteen seventy one, they have all those good charts, and if you look at the 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 spending on healthcare in nineteen seventy one took off like a rocket. It's just not one third. What do you got there, Danny? Well, this is a health expenditure as a percent of GDP. So it's around twenty for twenty twenty. That's the latest data. But what is it for the UK? Yeah, I said it during Obamacare, that was the number. I don't know what it is in the UK. No, but that's like, that didn't go over 20%. It's still fucking a lot higher than I expected. Well, it's 20% of uh, GDP. Mm -hmm. In 2008, it was probably 30% of GDP. About 12, it looks like. Well, so look, but what is, it's trending up. Yeah, massively. Trending up. What is it, the, those last 10 years? So it was, it was flat for around a decade of, what was that, around 10%? Well, yeah, in 1990, it was 5%. Okay. And now, and then the highest is twelve percent. And you could look into that data, and there could be an increasing expenditure because people there's there's new drugs developed, or there's advancements, or that people are investing in private healthcare. A lot of it is also that um, you spend the most amount. Of, you pretty much spend more. The majority of your medical spending is in the last like year of your life. And so in the West we have this aging population yeah, in the US yeah, with yeah. the baby boom generation. So we're spending more on healthcare, just part of demographics. But as US well. US healthcare is 
double the percentage of GDP than it is in the UK. But then we've got like different size economies and different populations. I, I wonder what it is per person, but that's like a, we can talk to Avi Rory about that one. Um, okay, okay. Go yeah, on. so um, that, that, I think that frames it up. It shows the, la the, the cycles of history. Here we are in a revolution cycle. Uh -huh. um, the last two years we framed up. Um, we see that the nation state had to do something. They're trying to hang onto that grip, but the more they squeeze, equal and opposite reactions. The more they squeeze, the more people are pushing back. They've lost the narrative. Trust is disintegrating very fast. So the blow-off top is coming. So the blow-off top is coming. And you think the next three to five years? I think so. So um, a couple of things. I mean, it, it's all, a lot of it's based on trust. And so um, Mises said, and he called it the crack up boom. He said, and then suddenly the people wake up and they realize inflation is both intentional and persistent. Um, and so suddenly people realize this now. We're realizing that. We're realizing it now. It's not transitory. It's not transitory. It's persistent. And do you mean the Fed is targeting 2% inflation? So it, it's intentional? Like, People don't even had never even, people hadn't even used the word Fed before. No one even thought about the Federal Reserve um, ten years ago. I always knew in the UK they targeted two percent inflation. It was like it, the way it's sold is you don't want uh, deflation, so they target two percent inflation. Yeah. So we have we have this we have this the financial system's ready to be reset. They're uh -huh. calling for it. Um, they're at. We can agree on that one. Though. Yeah, they're out of they're out of moves, and they're actively calling for it in their own words. Um, we have this technological revolution that's happening right now: Bitcoin decentralization, uh -huh. um, and then we have the political revolution cycle that's happening right now. Um, at the same time as we're hitting this peak um, centralization, as we've kind of framed up. Um, but if we look back through this historical lens, as I said, it's really the technology that changes the way that we work and that, that we interact and the way that we organize ourselves. It's a mega political shift, right? Mega political. That's a sovereign individual. Yeah, it's a mega political shift, right? And so um, we kind of were talking about like this balkanization that's already happening. So, for example, um, I don't know if I talked about this on my radio show earlier, if we talked about it earlier, but um, in the U.S., how uh, did we talk about how the Treasury and the Fed are trying to uh, the, the Biden administration is doing executive order to try, try to regulate cryptocurrencies and the we Treasury? Talk about that. Okay, so under the Biden administration, they said they're passing these executive orders so they can start regulating cryptocurrency, and the Treasury is now trying to slip a bill through um, to also have a basically unlimited checkbook and unlimited authority to to prohibit um, cryptocurrency transactions. That's the federal government at the same. Time, Time, in Texas, there's a race for governor and they're running on a platform to make Bitcoin legal tender. And in Arizona, they just submitted a bill to make Bitcoin legal tender. That's balkanization. Yep. Right. Uh, when, when, uh, when, when Biden tried to put a nationwide mandate in effect, 26 states, I believe, um, filed lawsuits saying we're not going to do that. And I think we'll see this balkanization of the United States continue. And so Texas came up with this, uh, you know, abortion law. And then we have a blue state say, okay, well, then we're going to do a $10,000 fine for gun, gun laws, right? In California, where we're recording right now, we have um, sanctuary cities where they say, screw you, federal government, with your um, immigration policies and illegal aliens. We're going to protect them. Right? And so we're starting to see this starting to happen. Um, and it's not just happening here. I mean, it's happening in, in, Europe, in Europe as well. Like I said, we have uh, Austria. I, I, we talked about that. Like Austria is uh, in Germany cracking down on COVID where we have, you know, Norway and the not cracking down we, the, the difference of the power. We talked about that, right? So we can see this balkanization is happening all over. So it's all starting to break apart. So even though it's still climaxing and the power is still getting bigger and bigger, and bigger centralization, we're getting more and more pushback, more protests, trucker rallies in, in, uh, in Canada, 
Um, and the cracks are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And do you think it's because essentially more people are just being affected by this? It's like it's, you, it's, you, it's, as the state's smaller and it's the policy decisions that are made affect a smaller amount of people. But these things that are happening now, inflation affects a lot of people. Well, Mandates affect a lot of people. It's, it's two reasons. One, it's they can't stop the trend that's happening. So the information has gotten out there. So now uh -huh. we see that they spent $11 trillion. We see that, uh, um, was it the the mayor of LA has these draconian policies and then he goes to the um, football game and he has no mask on, right? Like we see that. Um, so it's part of that, but it's also because they've gone too far. Okay. They've gone way too far. The truckers, we talked about the blue collar workers. Like you, you take away their ability to feed their family. What do you think is going to happen? People can take almost anything, but when you take away their ability to feed their kids, it's over. Right. If you look back at like Arab, the Arab Spring, you know, in Europe or in uh, the Middle East a number of years ago, it was whenever they can't eat. It's uh, nine meals to anarchy. You go without nine meals, it's anarchy. Nine meals. To, it sounds like a book title. Yeah, it is. Nine meals to anarchy. And so um, they've gone too far. So one, okay. the technology has got to a point where they can't hide anymore. They've lost the narrative. Um, it's trending too fast. And so they've tried to hold on by squeezing harder, but by squeezing harder, now they've affected too many people. If they would have just backed off and gone back to the way two years ago, they probably could have maintained their power for quite a while. But now when you don't let these blue collar workers work and feed their family, they're going to park their trucks and it's going to be a big problem. Huh. <laughs> so... So then this just continues, right? Okay. So back to the hump. Back to the hump. So um, as this continues, right? So if you think about it, um, back to the sovereign individual, they talk about freedom or uh, tyranny of place. Yeah. So tyranny of place means that, uh, as I was talking about before, under the Industrial Revolution in the last 250 years, if I wanted to be successful, I had to come to the United States or Western Europe. And then I had to be in a city where there was jobs. But today, especially now sped up by COVID, I can be anywhere and, and work. And so what we've seen is people are fleeing Silicon Valley, they're fleeing Los Angeles, and now they're going to Idaho or Wyoming or Colorado where they always wished they could live, but there was no jobs there. And now they can. Or they can now go to Mexico or El Salvador. Let me tell you something interesting. I just had Natalie Brunel on. Yeah. We were talking about her backstory and her mom, she's Polish. From Poland. Yeah. yeah. And her mom always wanted to move to the US. It took 20, 20 years to get here. They tried everything, the lottery, whatever, and they eventually got here. And all they've seen is things get harder and harder and harder for them. And the 2008 financial crisis, they lost everything. They worked their bollocks off yeah. to get a house and they're seeing problem after problem. They're now thinking of going back to Poland. Well, Poland's pretty free right now. Yeah. And Poland's living pretty good right now. Um, and so um, we'll, we'll be free of the tyranny of place and so people will start moving out. But the problem is, <clears throat> is the money. Yeah. The money is still the problem, right? Yeah. And so that's where Bitcoin comes in. Because now if I can store my value in Bitcoin, then I have a money that the state can't control. And then I can really be free of location. And there's a couple of things in play here. One, uh, we talked about the Balkanization of the United States and the difference of the United States and, and Europe. And really, they're kind of similar. They're both glued together by the money. Right In Europe, you have the euro. Here we have the dollar. And so as that dollar continues to lose relevance, it's going to start to dissolve that glue that holds the United States together. Maybe it goes from the USA or from like America back to like the USA or just the I don't know, United States or something, right? Um, so I think that's a big piece of it. And then um, kind of back to where we started the original conversation, which is um, 
anarchy or how does the world kind of develop? It's like, well, a rich person, I could go down into Mexico and take over a thousand acres and I could build my own facility. And a lot of people would say, well, they're just going to come get you, right? They're going to come attack you. Like a nation state will never allow you to build your own city down there. But it's like, really? Because it goes back to that return on violence. If I were to go down into Mexico and start a thousand acre community down there, why would they come after me? Typically, they come for resources. Mm -hmm. They come to get your water, your gold, your oil. But if I'm just there and I have no oil or no, no gold, what are they going to come get? They're going to come just kill me for no reason? They like, can't get your Bitcoin. They can't get the Bitcoin. Um, interesting story. I'm about two hours south of the border here in Baja, California. There's a, there's a compound. Um, I ride, I do dirt bike tours down there and there's this old compound down there. And the story is it's a Danish compound and it's some terrorist guy, or I don't know, some Interpol wanted guy who was some billionaire. And he went and made an agreement with the government to let him build his own compound there. And he runs his own security there. And I've ridden my dirt bike by there many times, but that's a perfect example. Like this guy is there seeking asylum. He's paid off the Mexican government. They allow him to live there. Why is anyone going to go get him? Like, there's the, not, there's the logic not, of violence. But there's none, right? Yeah, there's, exactly. there's, there's no return. And so I think, I think that's the way things will continue to go, right? The, the internet and then the money will continue to spread things out. The balkanization will continue. People will continue to branch out because they're freedom, f free from tyranny of place. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's the future. Damn, Mark Moss. You did it again. I think uh, it's a, the one thing I think to keep in mind is a couple of things. One, um, just like the last 250 years swung from the Industrial Revolution and led us to peak centralization, this is another like 250 year swing. So like this is not something We won't that, see the end of it. We won't see the end of it, not us. But um, I, what I think is, as I said, I think this blow off top happens somewhere around 2025-ish, 2024, 2026-ish around that time. And then I think we spend the rest of the decade coming off of that. And I think by the end of the decade, by 2030, uh, the world looks a lot different. How are you preparing? So a um, couple ways. Stacking sats. Stacking sats for sure. A couple ways. So one, uh, the future is very uncertain and it's going to be full of volatility. And so because it's uncertain, I don't know exactly how it's going to play out. Is Poland going to be one of the better places to live? What about Mexico? Mexico's released, you know, dropped all their uh, mandates and requirements. Um, I don't really know. So how do we, how do we plan for uncertainty? We need to have optionality. So the more options I have, the better. Katie, the Russian flag theory. Flag theory is right. Yep. So, you know, I have a house here in California. That's probably going to be the first to go. I just bought a ranch in Texas, as I was telling you, right? So, okay, I'll go make my final stand in Texas if I have to. Or I also am building a house down in Mexico. So I'll go down to Mexico if Mexico is still good. You got room for me and Danny. Uh, you fit us in. Just two of you. Just two. <laughs> sorry, Jeremy. Uh, sorry, Jeremy. Um, Fuck you, Jeremy. You know, um, I've, I've been working with some of those people in El Salvador like you have. So I've yeah, built yeah. a community there. There's another town in deep, deep down in Mexico. I've built a good community there. So I have like communities I can go plug into if I need it. So I have, you know, multiple houses, multiple communities. I have Bitcoin. Um, and so I can be free, freedom of place. I can, as long as I have my laptop and my internet connection, I can be anywhere I want. I have multiple places that I can go. Um, so I think that's how I'm, I'm handling it. So for the average person, what I would say is um, one, try to free yourself from location. So that might mean getting the job that you can do online. Okay. 
you know, um, to, of course, start stacking sats. Uh, we saw, I think it was yesterday at the time of this recording, um, in Lebanon, right? I think the banks failed and they took everybody's deposits and they're going to repay them, but they're going to repay them back with a different currency. It's like 98% devalued or whatever. Yeah, here we go. Fuck you again. Yeah. And that's, that's always what happens, right? And so um, in the United States and most of the developed world, they've been talking about this threat of a cyber pandemic happening. And um, I've not heard this. I mean, this, they talk about it on the news all the time. It's been like a hundred. The cyber pandemic. Yeah. What is that? I mean, even Klaus Schwab made a video about it. So Klaus Schwab says, um, there might be a virus on the internet <laughs> and we must have a vaccine for the internet. You haven't heard his speech about that? No, I haven't, but that's a great impression. I love it. <laughs> oh, uh, and the only me. way is we must come together and shut the internet down until it can be vaccinated. He says something like that. Okay, um, so they want to shut off information. Well, so so check this out. So if you're, I'm sure you're aware that before the pandemic, the coronavirus pandemic broke out, they had ran like Event 201 before that where they gamed it all out. Yeah, familiar with that, that, right? Yeah, yeah. So Bill Gates and John yeah, yeah. Hopkins and all that got together, and here's what would happen, blah blah blah. And of course, the same players that got together and planned it are the ones that did it. Well, they got together and ran a, a cyber pandemic test, and we, I read the report of what the test was, and then they basically game planned it. Here's where the attack would be, and here's how we'd respond. And I can tell you, so this is what they said. This is their own test. So they said that there would be a cyber pandemic, an attack. They said in their game plan that it would be an attack on the financial system and that what they would have to do quote we would have to do a bank holiday shut the banking system down to get rid of the cyber pandemic all right have you listened to rob epstein on rogan this week no so he talks about google shutting down the internet and when i was listening i was like well they can't shut down the internet but he was like they control whatever percent of search and they control all these different elements they control. And they actually did at one point. Yeah. They classed every website on the internet as, you know, a, a vulnerable website. You know, that screen you get right. up. And they did it on, I think it was a Saturday for 40 minutes. And he said the reason a Saturday, he said the reason a Saturday was important is because the banks were closed. Hmm. So you wouldn't affect the banks. Now, again, we might add in two and two and five here, but but at the same time, I'm thinking, huh, okay. It's another piece of information. So they said they're going in their own game plan. They strategized that it would be an attack on the financial system. The way they would do it, per Klaus Schwab, shut the internet down, they said they'd have to go on a bank holiday, in their own words. Now, this is where, this is my own guess, and I'm consulting my crystal ball that I don't have here. Um, but here's here's what I'm thinking is that um, the goal wasn't so much to get us onto a vaccine passport. The goal is to get us onto any single source where we have to gain at, show proof to gain access to society, a single switch that can be shut on off, a social credit score system, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Um, they are propping up the financial system, trying to keep it going, right? They've, in the United States, $8 trillion in the last uh, 24 months to keep the system from crashing. Um, can they keep the system from crashing? Can they print enough money? Well, that assumes a bias that they want to keep it from crashing. What if they only want to keep it from crashing until they're ready for it to crash? Now, remember, if we were playing a game, a board game, and I didn't have any more moves left, you didn't either. What do we do? We reset we the game. We smash the board. And we we reset the, the game. So 
Um, this is a little bit of a, bear with me. This is my own theory uh, that it could potentially happen. In their own words, it would be a cyber pandemic of the financial system. They have to go on a bank holiday. Now, we know from 1933 when they seized the gold, they did a bank holiday. Um, so they shut the banks down for six days. And then when they opened the banks up, it was $20 an ounce. And when they opened it back up, you couldn't get your gold out. And now they gave you credit for um, gold at 35 an ounce. So you lost like 60% of your value. Same thing happened in Cyprus in 2015. Same thing happened in Greece. Now the same thing happened in Lebanon, et cetera. That's what they do. Another interesting thing, Danny, this is a little too early, but I think February, there's like in, because of the queen, there's a bank holiday coming up in England. They called, a, they called for a bank holiday for her birthday, the 70th anniversary or something. Yeah, the Jubilee. The Jubilee, exactly. Do you know what's funny about that? The debt Jubilee, that's a scary thing to think about. I got an email this week inviting me to it. Oh. I got, I got an invite to sit on the mall and watch it. Wow. And then they wanted me to interview the royal biographer. I was like, why the fuck do you want me to interview this person? You clearly haven't listened to my show. What the fuck are you doing? So um, check this out. So they've been floating around this digital ID thing. Uh -huh. a, lot of, a lot of countries are already talking about it. And so what they could do is um, they want to keep the system propped up until they're ready to make the switch. But I don't think they're ready. The reason why they're not ready is they need to get us into a central bank digital currency. But the CBDC is not ready yet. Now, in the United States, the Fed's been working on it. I think two weeks ago, they put it open for comment. So now they're taking active comments. They're actively moving towards this pretty rapidly. I'm guessing 12 to 18 months, maybe 12 to 24 months, they'll have this digital currency ready. I think they've got a big problem in that they're not going to work. Come on. They can just copy XRP and just have it. Like, <laughs> I mean, how hard is it? How hard can that be? Like they spin up a new cryptocurrency every day, right? Betty, can you look up Bank of England, CBDC? I think they've come down and they've said that they're, they don't think it's workable. It'll probably be the ECB that'll roll it out. Uh, Bank of England takes next, I don't know, takes next down. Well, they all look like protocols. I read something recently that they said it's not workable. It'll probably be the ECB that rolls it out, not the Bank of England, because that'd be a little bit too, too low scale. But so give them 12 to 24 months to work that out. And they have a cyber pandemic to their own words. It attacks the financial system. It shuts it down. They go on a bank holiday and then they come out of the bank holiday and they say, hey, the internet was attacked. It crashed the financial system. It wasn't our fault. We had it under control. It crashed the financial system. And the reason why is because these anonymous internet users. And so what we need to do is um, we got it fixed, but everybody needs to now register. You can't use it anonymously anymore. And we're going to give you your money, but instead of um, your traditional dollars, now you have, you're going to get it all in the central bank digital currency. Let me tell you another interesting thing. I got approached by MasterCard who said they wanted to sponsor the podcast. And I'm like, oh, cool. MasterCard, that's a big brand. You yeah. don't have a budget. And they talked about the things that they, their strategies and the things they're working on. And cryptocurrency was one of them, hence why they wanted to get in touch. And CBDCs. Mm. And they have that new card with the social credit scores or the carbon, carbon score. Huh. <laughs> MasterCard <laughs> oh, has that no. new card where now it has a carbon score. And so when, you chart, when your carbon score goes too high, your card gets shut off. <sighs> Do you know what happens in my head during these conversations, Mark? I'm like, I'm following your trailer thought and I'm like, it all makes sense. But I'm also like, this can't be real. This can't be real. This, like, this cannot be real. We, we, we're connecting the dots, but this isn't real. And listeners are going to love this. And I know they're going to say, Pete, wake the fuck up. Let's, let's, let's recap just the I, big I pieces. I think it's because I don't want it to be true sometimes. Let's just recap the real big pieces. So one, um, 
if we look back over the last thousand years, the world has changed the way it's organized uh-huh. based off of technology. Um, the world swung from, you know, being decentralized in the farms, got centralized through the cities, um, and now the pendulum swinging every 250 years. So we're on that time period. Now, maybe that, maybe that doesn't happen this time, right? But whatever, that's, that's the history of where we're at. We also know that um, we are at peak centralization. Maybe it's not peak. Maybe it goes on a little bit longer. But we do know that we're at a period of centralization the world's never seen, World Economic Forum, World Health Organization, Central Bank, et cetera. We know we've never seen that before. We also know that um, the world is pushing back against that very aggressively. The, yep. truck, the truckers, the, truck the Joe Rogans, yeah, the, yep. the, the riot, the, the protests, everything. So we do know that as well. We also know that the financial system is about to implode. We know that. I'm at $11 trillion in repo in just 24 months. The, the IMF calling for Bre- uh, Bretton Woods too. Like, we, we know that. That's fact. Uh, and we also know central bank digital currencies is something that they're aggressively working towards. And we don't know when, but we know that they're working. China's already rolled theirs out, right? Um, so we know those facts. Those are facts. Um, now what happens? We don't know. That's where we start to, um, guess about things. Pour yourself another whiskey. Um, so I would say those are facts. Now, what Jessica Vaughan, do you need some more whiskey? You, you're still holding. Come on. I know. What are you doing Come over on, there? Come on, Jessica Vaughan. You're going to say hello to the camera. Say hello to the camera. Hi, camera. Hi, Jessica. Are you guys enjoying the red filling? Do you need uh, some egg white with that? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off, Pete. So I think if we look at those broad brush strokes, um, and we we don't get caught up in all the details, um, I think it's pretty. It's, I think it's pretty compelling. Last one for you, dude. Yeah, let's go. We need more whiskey, Danny. That's two bottles in two days. That's uh, you, you can't leave any in that bottle. No, come on. There you go. <laughs> go big. Let's go big. <laughs> I mean, with a conversation like that. <sighs> Thank you, Uncle Nearest. Not eighteen eighty four. So. If we just recap those broad brush strokes, I mean, you would agree with all those big ones, right? Um, I, I see the pattern yeah. you're explaining. The question is, is this peak centralization that blows off and swings back to decentralization, or do we continue into central, more centralization? Well, all I know is more centralization is bad because it's fucked as it is. Yeah, which is funny from where we started the conversation where you were very advocating for centralization no no no. i I am but i already but but that doesn't change i'm uh, i am not an anarchist and 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 neither am i and i but i am somebody who appreciates the ideas of libertarians i keep saying this i keep saying i wish libertarians would get more involved in politics because i know it's antithetical to being a libertarian for some but i think the the politics in the moment is pull left and right and they pull each other back and forth that pendulum swings I would love big government, small government, pendulum that, that shrinks government, that the libertarians have that influence. But I don't fully believe in, I still think there's certain issues we need to be centralized, certain areas of regulation, minority protection, vulnerable protection. I do believe sure. that. And I worry about that in a world of, no, like in the post-democracy world that VJ Boyapati talked about where it's city-states. I do worry about that. I do think it will lead to a different form of authoritarianism. And I do think vulnerable groups will be exploited. That hasn't changed. And, and I am at that point where I think democracy is breaking. And I think we are at peak centralization. And I want it pulled back. So my position hasn't changed there. Yeah. But again, uh, those broad brushstrokes are there. Which way does it go? Do we, do we go back to decentralization? Do we continue through centralization? That's what we don't know. And that's yep. where the battle of the fate of humanity is. Um, I think what the, what the centralists need, and they know they need this, the reason why they say central planning or socialism, communism never worked is because of the lack of data, the lack of inputs. 
I mean, Jordan Peterson said, he, he, he was quite explicit. He said, it's because you've not tried the right form of yeah, communism. Yeah, right. Which version? How many failed attempts do you need to realize this leads to the deaths of millions of fucking people? Yeah. So they, uh, yeah, exactly. I think um, it's the lack of data, right? Because they can't, that they have no price, no free markets to organize or to um, coordinate. And so they hope that if they have central bank digital currencies, then they can get enough data into the AI cloud to manage all this. Um, the hope is that AI is nowhere near ready for that. We're so far away from having. I sat. I got. A, I got the. I got the joy to sit down with Naval. You uh, did about a month ago. I was at Michael Saylor's house in Miami. Nice. And uh, I talked to him quite a bit about AI because I know he's in Silicon Valley and uh, he knows quite a bit about that. And you know, you have narrow AI and you have general or broad AI. And so the narrow AI is they train it through a specific task, and it's pretty good for that. But but broad AI. Um, he said we're no closer than we were in the 70s. And uh, Explain broad AI. So broad AI, narrow AI is when I can train AI to do one very specific task, like play chess, okay. for example. Broad AI is when it can have like a consciousness and it can think on its own. It can just learn all these things that haven't been taught to it, right? Because as humans, we, um, for the first about five years of our life, we learn kind of through hypnosis, just watching things. And then we automatically know things. Like, for example, I just know that... Um, you know, that bottle is going to be heavier than like a feather on the table. I just know that. Yeah. No one taught me that. I just know that through life experiences or whatever. But how do you teach that to an AI, right? And so... Um, you can only teach patterns. Right. So narrow. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so I'm no expert on AI. I've, I've learned enough to try to figure it out. But we're not, we're not close to that. So the hope that I have is that we're not close to that. They're not going to be able to get that done in time. Um, I, I see Bitcoin as the opposite so AI is all about centralization and central control, whereas Bitcoin is all about decentralization. But I think back, if we, if we circle all the way back to the beginning of the conversation, neither extreme is good, in my opinion. No, no, I'm, I'm, that I agree with you 100%. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Question. What's part three? We're going to do the trilogy. Yeah, I think we can do part three. Um, I think... If we wait a couple months, we're going to have a lot of fireworks to be talking about. No, but that would just be like, oh, what's like, what's happened? No, I think, um, I think part three is to really kind of map out, I mean, how this plays out and what kind of the future looks like um, a little bit more. I think it work. I don't know. I have to think about it. Have to think about it. I want to make part three. Yeah. I'm in uh, Texas all of March. We're going to record at my ranch. I'd fucking love that. I'd love that. Can you take me on a dirt bike? My ranch has a, a professional rodeo ring with lights and like shoots and everything. And I was like, oh, that could be a perfect dirt bike track inside, <laughs> inside the rodeo ring. Can I just get on a, on a bull and be thrown around like a fucking idiot? We could arrange that. Have you got any bulls? I have four. Big, scary fuckers. No, nah, well, I mean, they're big and scary for me. They're probably, they're not, uh, they're not rodeo bulls, but they're, they got horns. That's for sure. Have you done the uh, jackass thing and gone in there and tried to get out of the way? Uh, they're very friendly. They're like dogs. They like to be pet. What they're about, like, what they're, about, they're what like about, longhorns. What about if we kick them? What about if we put one pointed at Danny and kick it? I'm sure we can find a, I'm sure we can find a rodeo bull for Danny. Dude, well, look, look, I'll come and visit the ranch, but we'll have the studio set up. We've already booked it. Yeah. And if you, if that's, if we can be prepared in time. Yeah. I love these conversations with you. They're fun. They're, 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 yeah. I'm not sure fun's a word I use. They're challenging. Challenging. Because they challenge me. And I'm going to have a very long conversation with my brother after this. 
very long conversation. I'm looking forward what's to up, it. What's up with your brother? He's uh, he's more more left than you. Yeah, he is. My brother's more status. He's uh, my brother's a great fucking guy. He's got a huge conscience and he thinks about other people a lot. He's uh, he for for the type of personality I am, he's the perfect big brother because I get to go to him and discuss. Because I'm like the wild fucking idiot of the family, like the rebel, the tattoos, the Bitcoin, the yeah. like. My brother's a, a lot more settled, a lot more centered. So I can be I can be led by ideas and I can believe in ideas. And what will happen is rather than me go into the group thing and just go, yeah, this is fact, my brother will sit me down afterwards and say, yeah, but have you thought about this? And it will make me rethink and pull me back. Yeah. He's like a consciousness that sits on my shoulder that I feel very blessed to have. Yeah, it's good. Um, but he is more left. Like he, he voted Labour. But he's also, I mean, Danny's witnessed this. He's become more orange peeled. He's blown away by Bitcoin. He's like, he cannot get his head around the fact that. But he cannot get his head around the fact that probably one of the most important inventions, well, the most important invention of our lifetime might have been designed in nine pages, of which one is citations. Right. Like he said, I still cannot believe this. And he's he's definitely had to rethink some of his thoughts. It's definitely affected him by being orange pilled, but he's not like if you have a spectrum of orange pill, he's like more towards the star. I'm a bit sure. further forward, but he will listen to this show deeply and he will challenge the fuck out of me and he will help me prep the next one because I, I think some people don't understand my role in doing this job. Like it isn't to nod and agree. Anyone can do that. Yeah, it is to challenge. Even I, if I, I, love I it. even I love when it. I agree with you, it's still to challenge. Yeah, my job isn't what I want, what I think. My job is what other people will think. Yeah. So the people who might agree with you is to help you take them on a journey and learn it, and the people who disagree with you is to put their points across so you can counter it. That's my job. And when I ask questions, it's not necessarily that I think it, or not necessarily that I don't know the answer. It is to help frame the entire conversation. And my brother will certainly help me on the third one. And I'm really intrigued. I get these long fucking text yeah. messages. It's funny. I'll show you after this. Like the VJ show yeah. that went out today. And I've got this long text message about like what he agrees, what he disagrees, what we should talk about. What, what I would say about that is I've had conversations like this with many people. And you're also my favorite person to talk about it because um, you, you do have a different view and you ask really good questions. I and that. Um, as I kind of, we started out in the beginning, I believe that truth wins out through discussion. Exactly. And so I love to be challenged on it because I also want to think about it different. So many times I've looked at someone post on Twitter and I'm like, oh yeah, that's so right. And then I read comments and I'm like, oh, I didn't think about that. Right. And so like, I, I love it. I love the discussion. I love the pushback. Um, um, so I think it's great. Well, we should do this in March if we can in Texas. Yeah, we'll give you the end of the month, so we've got time to prep. So essentially, yeah. we're talking about nearly two months. Yeah, um, and we will come visit the ranch. We're there for the whole month. Most weeks we're going to record Monday to Thursday, but me and Danny will be there uh, through to the weekend. Although I think Jeremy will be like Unchained. Oh, ha- Unchained has that new badass Commons setup with a podcast studio. In yeah, I've heard about, well, we've, again, we've rented a cool place yeah, yeah, yeah. our studio will be set up. We're not going to move the equipment yeah, yeah, yeah. around. So we'll do it there, but yeah. we'll come see the ranch. How yeah. far from Austin? Can you say, is it a docks? 20, 20 miles from downtown. All right, we'll rent a car. The one thing I would uh, just, I wanted to say back to your brother and just different people listening and thinking and whatever. The one thing I would just try to say is that when I turned 18 and I could vote, my dad told me, just always remember one thing. Every new law, whether it's good or bad, 
is less freedom. And so I've always just tried to keep that mindset. And so um, I would always err to the side of allowing other people to make decisions for themselves. Because what I see today is these leaders think, and they've openly said it, that you're not smart enough to make decisions on your own. And I think that's wrong. I think that humans are smart enough. Now, I think the system is so messed up that people are in situations that we can't get ourselves out of. But I think openly that people should have the freedom to decide. And so um, when you talk about, I don't know your brother, but maybe people that are more on the state side, I think the problem is that they think that, and I don't know your brother, but just people on that side would say that they think that we need people to make decisions for others. And I just think people are smart enough to decide on their own. So I half agree with you, as a typical fence sitter might be. I agree, it might be less freedom, but the trade-off might be more protection for, my, uh, for vulnerable, sure, sure, vulnerable sure, so, groups. So in my, better than more protection for vulnerable groups, or it might be for the better coordination of society. And sometimes there is a trade-off in, in, in the world. Sometimes yeah. you make those trade-offs. Now, I think I agree with you. We're on peak centralization. So we've had too much of a trade-off. We've given up too much. And as VJ and I discussed, it's like absolute liberty. That probably isn't a good idea. So like, where is the happy medium? We've gone too far. But like that whole idea that every law is less freedom, therefore it's bad, I don't buy. I think sometimes you need laws that restrict freedom, that protect and make the net quality of life and the net organization of society better. I mean, I agree with that. It's, okay. it's, it's, it's that, it's that, it's the spectrum. I think we're getting closer together, aren't we? Well, I think we agree. The problem is, is that, like I said, I should be able to leave this district to go to this district if I want. I don't want the whole world. And then it's the creep. But anyway, yeah, let's, yeah. Let's, 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 right. we, we can end it with there because we can sit here and talk. We will, we'll talk about this later. <laughs> All right, Mark listen, where do people follow you? Listen to you. When is this going to be published? Danny. Hmm. We, we've got quite a, we're going to have to keep these quite chronological because the way we're referring to the show. So this will probably come out in the next week or so, right? I think this will be two weeks. Two weeks. Okay. Two weeks. So okay. um, what I'd like to say is uh, two things. One, um, uncommunist.com. Check out that book. Yeah, I will do. Um, two, I've, because this is something that I think is super important and how do we navigate this? Um, it's so important to me that I decided that I was going to hold events that we could talk about this bigger and so i have an event in dallas coming up uh, marketdisruptorslive.com and it's going to be just focusing on what's going to happen over the next couple of years and what should people do about it um so i plug those two things marketdisruptorslive.com and, and uncommunist.com other than that just search mark moss um, i make videos on youtube i'm pretty active on twitter one mark moss and i have a radio show you can just search mark moss radio but we will put that all in the show notes well uh, let everyone know about it and we will part we will plan the part three of the trilogy and i really look forward to it look i love these conversations and another reason i love it it's really challenging for me like it, this really challenges me and this is one i'm going to be want to go back and say fuck how did i do what's i yeah it's good just say huh 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 <laughs> mark i love you thank you for coming in jessica vaughn thank you for coming in appreciate this uh looking forward to recording you again keep crushing it i love what you're doing bro all right thanks all right, thanks for listening to what Bitcoin did. If you want to get in touch, the best thing you can do is head over to my Telegram channel or you can hit me up on my email, which is hello at whatbitcoindid.com.